From Chicago, this is Around Comics, the comic culture podcast, where we talk about everything in and around the world of comics and comics culture. I'm your host, Mr. Christopher Neesman, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Mr. Brian Salazar. What's up? Back again. This is more podcasting than we've done in 10 years. We've done more in like three weeks. Then we I, saw, I saw uh, in the on on the Facebooks. It had the uh, your memories from, and it was uh, memories from ten years ago whenever we were set up at the very first C two E two. Oh my god! Wow! Yeah, that was ten years ago. Yeah. It was ten years ago. I think ten years ago this week. Oh so, shit! Uh, they that's didn't, crazy. Craziness. You didn't call this like the ten, big tenth anniversary show, the the last <laughs> con of the year. They didn't call that the tenth anniversary show. Let's, uh, let's introduce our, our, our guest here. He's a longtime friend of, of the show and us and great guy. and Family member, around comics family. He is, I mean, you he said is 10 years guys. ago. That's crazy because I've probably known you guys for 12, 13 years, right? Probably because, yeah. yeah, we've been doing it for a couple years before C2E, at least a couple years. We start, Tim, we started this in 2006, so... Yeah. We would have known you right around that time. Yeah, right around then. 14, wow. 14 15 years. Crazy. Huh? Jeez. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't even I, I can't even fathom sometimes how long <laughs> this stuff has been going on. Oof. It's that's, because well, we're that's old. a thing to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, we're still here. Superstar creator, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tim Seeley. How you doing, bud? Just, just fucking peachy. <laughs> just wonderful. So, I'm going to shut my door here. Hold on. Sorry. Like, can you, can you get rid of the sewing machine? Why is there a sewing machine in your... Uh, I'm in your... trying to learn new skills. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's not that bad, Chris. You're not going to have to make clothes, I don't think. I think you're well, going to be... Have, at this point, I mean, you might... Uh, that, go ahead and invest. Go ahead and do that. Maybe so I was feeling guilty because I was, I was talking to some other friends... The other the other day, yes, I have people besides you that I know, and the the question came up of what new skill have you taught yourself during isolation? None. And people, you know, people were coming up with you know this and that and blah blah blah, and I'm just like, I'm gonna learn how to sew. Oh fuck those people! Listen, <laughs> I got a job, I have a family, I have a house to take you. care of. I don't have time for new fucking skills. This guilt trip that now I got to feel like I have to use this time productively to do something to better myself. Bullshit. What, what's fucking what is hilarious about this, Tim, is that he has probably toiled for at least 20 hours on learning how to run and post <laughs> video to the Internet. That's true. That is true. Fair enough. So, so he's full of shit. So what, what new skill have you taught yourself, Tim Seeley? Uh, I've gotten really good at not breaking down and crying. Uh, that's my new uh, thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I have, so I, I have sort of a, and I have had for a long time, you know, I kind of have like, a, I have anxiety disorder anyway, but I have a specific one about health stuff, you know, 
So like, oh, 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 this sucks then. <laughs> well, so like, it, you know, it kind of got worse. Like last year, I was really stressed out. We had the baby, we bought a house, work was going not so great. And so like, I was just high anxiety. And I, I like went through like a big bout of health anxiety, like believing I had cancer and, you know, the usuals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it's called a, it, Tim, it's called a midlife crisis. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Um, but by the time I got out of that, like I was like, "Hey, I'm doing good." And then this shit hit. Like, yeah. And I was kind of watching this stuff since you know January, kind of you know really anxious that this was going to uh, destroy the world. And then uh, now, like, we're in the shit, and I feel less anxious because I was right. You know, like when, when you have like anxiety <laughs> about stupid shit, and, and the whole thing is like it's things that aren't going to happen. But if you if you worry about something that actually happens, it's like oh, you kind of feel good. So, <laughs> so my, now you're a prophet. You're not a. You're not. No, well, you're yeah, just you're like, in it. You're, you're sort of you know what people tell you is you know this sort of um, unsubstantiated uh, concern about things when it's real. You're like oh, I don't have to worry about it because it happened. It's, mm-hmm. it's like so now you know I just uh, relax while everything uh, goes to shit all around us. <laughs> Well, um, what, on one that of the note. things I've, I've been wanting to uh, talk to different writers and different creatives is that I know that that most, especially writers, I think, are probably trying to draw some some inspiration and motivation from this. And it's like, okay, what can what can I write, or what story can I come up with that is inspired or has to deal with this whole you know, COVID-19 thing that isn't like Stephen King's The Stand. And then you, I'm sure there's a moment where you sit down and it's like, but everyone else is trying to do the same thing. You know, so is that... Well, I mean, I already, and here's the thing, I already did it because Revival was about a quarantine. I remember yeah. when, when I was working on Revival, I did research about how many times quarantines had happened in America. And the only time it had happened, uh, as far as because of virus, was because of the 1918 flu virus. Mm-hmm. So I remember reading about the flu virus thing then. And, and so the whole story in um, revival is really about, you know, being stuck and not being able to leave and being, going nuts with your family. That's what the book is about. Yeah. <laughs> so like I already did it. Uh, and the only thing I can say for sure is that there are things I wish I had um, known. And one is the masks thing. I mean, in revival, everyone should have, would have been wearing masks because they would assume that it was spread via, you know, breathing. Now I know. Oh, what do you think? What do you think my first sewing project is going to oh, be? Oh, for sure. I I just ordered some uh, like really offensive ones from Threadless, so that you know. You know, that, you know Sonia Harris, right? Oh yeah, very lovely. So yeah. um, that's her. Uh, that's her. Um, fuck this shit pattern. <laughs> it's her swearing pattern. That's awesome. Isn't that's that amazing? A lovely mask. Uh, it's uh, I for, um. I'll have to find the the web address, but it's a uh, um, Sonia Harris uh, swearing patterns, oh, and she nice. did all that whenever she was. Um, she's pretty public about it. She was um, a cancer survivor, it's, and and she's an amazing designer. Uh, she's done a lot of comic book uh, design work, and whenever she was going through her cancer battle, um, that was kind of her design therapy was coming up with these swearing patterns, and oh. they're amazing. So. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. So it's like kind of uplifting, but also pragmatic because she's fucking pissed. Yeah. Yes, nice. yes. And she's British, so it always yeah. sounds better coming from her. You know? <laughs> right. Where she's like, you know, you know, wanker. I think she's got one that's that says <laughs> wanker or something like that. That's great. But anyway, so so yes, uh, revival. Um, 
last I checked, uh, optioned? Well, we're working on it as a movie, which we were. Um, we were supposed to start filming this winter, and we had some financial uh, delays because we're doing it small, and, and, and it's a whole thing. But it actually ended up working out because if we had gone to shoot in January, uh, we would have been shot down anyway. And so then we would have footage and then send stuff. It would have just been um, a mess. So yeah, that worked out okay. Um, but we've been slowly working on doing a movie. Um, it takes a lot more time to do it this way. Well, you know what? We'll get it done before Hack Slash. And I optioned that through a major studio 10 years ago. But <laughs> at um, least. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but I mean, I, I don't know. Like now I definitely want to do not want to do anything about a pandemic or disease. I don't want to ever write anything about that ever again. You know, like I just, like I did it before and i had a perception of what that would be like and it, it wasn't quite the same but it's a different kind of story and now right now what i'm working on is just something that doesn't reference this moment in time in any way shape or form <laughs> i just sure. have, i mean i guess the the thing that i'm most interested in about this time is the and i guess this is not a huge surprise but like you know the the protesters being like we want to go back to work like the, and just the absolute stupidity of not being like we want to be taken care of by our government or we want corporations to pay the taxes or we want the rich to pay their share so we can have it. Instead of just like, we want to work like fucking idiots. That shocks me. And um, I probably will do something with that. Does it, does, does it shock you? Yes. Well, yeah, no, it does because I, well, I I guess it just shows the, how the control um, is sort of complete of of a certain population. You know, the the sort of oligarch autocrats have really, they've solidified their control, right? Like not in a conspiracy way, it's right out in the open, but they basically have got these people like, you know, um, we want you to do whatever we say. So we have the money and you're going to get angry about not being able to do your slave labor. Like <laughs> it's people not pissed because they're, you know, owned, they're pissed that they don't get to be doing their shit jobs. That, that's, you know, it's uh, uh, some libertarian friends who are, you know, going on and on about how their their liberty is being trampled yeah. on, and and I was like, don't be angry whenever they tell you to stay home. Be angry when they make you go back to work. Yeah, when it's unsafe. That, you know, and the reveal of of like how impractical libertarianism is is this this whole. <laughs> event. What's up, honey? This is a live show, so what do you need help with? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it a teaspoon? What do you? Which one do you need? Yeah. That's just, I always get confused with this shit. Teaspoon is the, the little one that you hate. We're seeing uh, and tablespoon a live glimpse one. of Tim's life at home. <laughs> teaspoon <laughs> is the small tea. Yeah, small the, tea and big tea, honey. Well, I never bake in English. Sorry. It's not table. my, my <laughs> table. Tablespoon table is the big tea. tea. Teaspoon okay. is the little I don't tea. know. This English is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got, you got a little uh, peek inside. The only... Uh, <laughs> The only caveat I can see with uh, this is people that own their own businesses, small mm-hmm. business owners. I could see. I mean, I'm being, one. I'm true one. enough, but you, but your business you can do from where you're at. You know what I mean? Like if no, you own I mean, if you own a small business, if you're paying rent in a building sure. somewhere, if you're. Uh, but then you ask the government to give you money to hold you over, not to go back to. Well, they spent all that on 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 um, Halliburton and cheese. Yeah, right. Factory. Exactly. And that, why are people mad about that? That's the thing. I applied for a PPP, a Paycheck Protection Loan, and I applied for the EIDL to try to get something, and I didn't get past the first phone call. I mean, they turned it over to your bank, 
who owns, who has your small bank business loan. This is, we'll talk about comics after this, but this is just a tyrant. <laughs> they turned it over to your bank and their bank was supposed to do something with it. And the bank had no infrastructure to do this. So they send you paperwork, you fill it out. They say, they send you a message that says, we will call you tomorrow. And then they never call you. And if you call them, you get this line. It says, we will call you in three days. And I, I've been waiting for uh, two weeks now. Well, so, I mean, this, you know. this is comic relevant because I mean, comic books, it's a, it's a pay for hire industry. So, well, and, and we, I run mine like purposely as a small business. So I, I run it because I also am a publisher because I go through image and I have stock and I have all that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, and I have quarterly payments and I have employees. Um, so I treat it like a small business as, you know, everything goes through the small business. So mm-hmm. um, even though I'm a contractor, I treat it, you know, as if I were. Well, you're a vendor, I guess you. As a vendor, right. I treat vendor. it like as a vendor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and so this impacts me quite a bit and the inability for anyone to offer any kind of help is just, I mean, we've, we've made it, you know, they passed out trillions of dollars to, to fucking hedge fund managers and, and stockbrokers and all that shit to lose our money again and then give us shit. So like, I, I can't believe people aren't mad about this stuff. That's, that just shocks me. Like the, the people demanding they can get a haircut just the dumbest. <laughs> that are you talking about the woman that had the sign that says "I want a haircut"? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, there was lots of those people. That was that was in Brookfield. In Brookfield, which, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, it like three miles from my house, and yeah. I just like to go on record as saying, "Fuck Brookfield." Wow. <laughs> the whole. Um, well, I mean, you know, Marta and I were we we had to go and do some basic grocery shopping today. And and we're driving down Burleigh in in Milwaukee, and it's like we're kind of close to a hot zone here in the part of Milwaukee that we're in. We live next to black people, um, and she said, like if, we dri- <laughs> "If we drive, if we drive five six miles down the road to Brookfield, it's like an eighty five percent less chance of us even coming anywhere near." In, into contact with anyone with with the coronavirus and it's like I, that that shows you i mean this this the segregation thing, yeah it, i mean it's it is it's it's affecting poor and 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 low wage workers and minorities i mean it's there's a lot of classism going on with well, those and, and those brookfield people i mean this is all about them wanting to reestablish their dominance of, of making people do their work right yeah, yeah. The idea that they have to cut their own hair or fucking make their own lunch or, you know, whatever is like, wait, I'm supposed to be the best. I'm supposed to be the master. Where are these people they're, supposed to be working? They're, they're upset because their life has become inconvenienced. Yeah, but not potentially over. It's just, yeah, yeah it drives and, me crazy. And, yeah, and, and four miles south of Brookfield is the Freighter Medical Center where I've got friends of mine who are doctors and nurses who are busy throwing people into body bags as they're done you know it's yeah it's yeah it's just the hypocrisy and the idiocy like that's the part i'm gonna have to use for stories you know like i just i don't want to i i I think when we come out of this you know no one is going to want to ever think about this again like just Mm -hmm. pretend this didn't happen and give me another fast and the furious movie or or like you know just like (laughs) i I just think we're gonna want escape you know we want it now i think Do do you think a lot do you think a lot of people 
will crave kind of, I don't want to say mindless escapism, but do you think that they'll, once we kind of start to emerge from this, that, that people are going to kind of crave happy and, and kind of mindless stories, you know, I don't know about mindless, but I definitely, I mean, I know this for myself. Um, there's an HBO show called high maintenance. If you've ever seen it, it's about a, it's, it's a small show, but it's really well done, but it's just about a guy. He's called the guy. He doesn't have a name. He's a, a bike messenger weed dealer in New York city. Right. And every episode is the framework is he's kind of like the crypt keeper. He kind of goes through and introduces these stories, but not directly. He kind of goes, delivers weed to someone and then a story happens. And then he, it's two times, two stories every episode, but it's always just like New York stuff. And it, I liked the show before. Now when I watch it, it's like porn to me because I'm watching it. It's like all these interesting, weird people bumping into each other, hanging out at bars, hanging out at parties, hugging, you know, uh, <laughs> like sharing food, sharing yeah. uh, fucking joints. And I'm just like, oh, yes. So I think people are going <laughs> to I don't think they're going to crave stupidity. I think they're going to crave connection. And yeah. I think they're going to crave, you know, uh, sort of a, like scope i mean i we're, we're all looking at four walls all the time now and i think we're gonna you know right now i i think i'm feeling that same way is just you know everything that's really appealing to me is an escape from this you know so um maybe that works against revival in some degree you know because i mean it'll take a while for us to make anyway but uh if we had come out with it like right after this it'd just be like <laughs> who wants to watch this oh get oh get ready and and now whenever you guys do come out with it you'll be you know not not accused but everyone's gonna be oh yeah this is their this is their story about the coronavirus you yeah, know which, isolation yeah which and it's crazy too just because when we started that story um we talked a lot about like you know how this would actually work but there was so little reference point because there are so few instances of actual lockdowns in american history there's there's so few well <laughs> i would have had to wait six years and i had that shit wrapped up <laughs> um david brookings um had a uh really interesting commentary on here's marta by the way hey marta hello, <laughs> hey. hello marta oh sal i miss you so much oh <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm I'm very missible. I know it's okay. being like <laughs> because I can hear you all the way upstairs. I understand. <laughs> so far, we've That's seen him, huh? both of your wives, and mine <laughs> mine will not make an appearance on the show. I guarantee you that because <laughs> she doesn't Kim's exist. Lost. I mean, Kim and I could really start our own thing if we wanted to. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. be called to the side of comics. To the uh, not around it, adjacent to, yeah. comics yeah. adjacent off to the side. <laughs> More yeah. like nowhere near comics. Yeah. <laughs> down, down the street and around the corner from comics. I've heard of them, but it would be you guys would have to start like a true crime podcast. That would be she'd be into that true crime stuff. She loves that. Her and my okay. daughter. All right, I would probably I'd probably that's that's very lucrative as I understand true crime. <laughs> We'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts 
or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. All right, I'm gonna go. Bye. Oh, uh, take that oh, sewing well. machine with you, woman. Belongs to you. Oh, I know. Um, uh, David, do you ever listen to David Brooks? He's a, a pretty well-known, like conservative columnist, and he was talking about um, the the history of, of pandemics. and And he said, you know, obviously, I've been reading up on it a lot, and there's a lot of there's a lot of history about the 1918 pandemic, but very little like firsthand on the ground recollections of it and and he said what we finally kind of discovered is that was that a lot of there there weren't many retellings or recounts of what happened because people were really fucking ashamed of how they acted during that yeah because i mean it was man you you caught i mean this is 1917 1918 if you caught that thing i mean you were probably gonna fucking die i am within within a day or two i mean it wasn't a prolonged illness people got that and they were dead in a couple days and so it was it people were pretty pretty cold-hearted uh about their social distancing and if anyone was in help or in need i mean they kind of stayed the fuck away from them it was uh it was a really really dark time in in american history and that's one of the things that i i think i'm kind of grateful for now is that yeah you've got these fucking militia fucking head cases running around and and karen who needs her fucking haircut but (laughs) but uh, most people i think there's a lot of compassion right now yeah most people are i mean that's the interesting thing too is most people are doing this very very well it's kind of surprising you know i mean i think most people do believe science and believe that, you know, this is necessary and it's a sacrifice and, and it's not such a big sacrifice because mostly you're just staying home and watching Netflix. You're not shipping off to France with a, you know, with a rifle and, you know, and and, and your boots, like your sacrifice is essentially, you know, your, your, your social life and your joy and your contact with people, but you know, and small business owners, absolutely. You know, it's yeah, that that kind of stuff. But I think people, there's been been a fair amount of compassion out there. I agree. Yeah, a surprising amount of. Uh, I mean, I, it depends on kind of I think where you are, but um, certainly like in Chicago, I think I've I've been surprised and impressed um, just in general about how people handled this. Um, <laughs> you know, and you know, Chicago. I mean, it can be. It can be uh, a little bit attitude but I think people have been pretty... As as far as the Midwest goes, yeah. Chicago can have a little bit of a, a chip on, yeah. on the shoulder, but, that, but it's Chicago. It's I mean, still Midwestern, too. It's still, yeah. it's still the Midwest. So we, we get to miss in Chicago a little bit, actually a lot sometimes. And so we hooked up the computer to the, to the living room TV and watched uh, WGN Morning News. Still oh, yeah. the best morning news broadcast anywhere (laughs) they are the best and we finally saw the uh the mayor whitefoot commercials oh yeah yeah. where she's yeah where she's you know stay the stay at home stuff um fucking hilarious yeah and the memes and stuff have been i mean you know that's the other thing this has been education of is depending on where you live your local leadership and government matters a lot a lot more than you you would have thought it would and Mm -hmm. a lot more um you know, that, that it needs to, it should 
have to because of our federal leadership. But like, you know, we here, I think everyone is kind of in a weird state of stun at how good J.B. Pritzker is uh, at this and how, uh, <laughs> how calming of a leader he is, how good of choices he's made um, and how good he, he is. He was running some black ops shit this week. Yeah. I mean, I th- just he wasn't my first choice. Uh, you know, he's better. Wait, than you, did, you didn't you didn't want to um, elect the heir of of a of gigantic hotel. Yeah. I mean, I, pain, I don't you know, to me, this, that's, you know, that's the same level. Yeah. It's, Hyatt, right? Other people. He, yeah. Hyatt. Yeah. Um, but he he's been great. He's done a really good job. Um, and pr- uh, Lightfoot has been really good, too. So I think for us, you know, the recognition of like where you are does matter. I think there's a story there of the the Black Ops team that's yeah. flying in toilet paper and face masks <laughs> from China and trying to keep the, the 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 FBI from from detecting them as they as Maybe they. Maybe it'll be in. a what's the uh, Bruce Reynolds or movie with uh, the monkey where they're stealing Coors beer? What um, I should know this. It, it's a seventies movie with Clyde. What's the every oh, which the, way uh, loose? Every which, every which way which way to loose. Maybe we'll have movies like that, like the wacky <laughs> comedy set during the. I'm in. Uh, no, it's when a monkey or a grill in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that was really they were they were stealing craft beer from one state to go to another one. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we can this I can I could totally tolerate the wacky crew that JB Prisker put together to uh, get get PPE for Chicago. I'm, I'm interested. I, I have an idea for another of uh, a 48 hours redo. So, you know, we could work on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, of the things I've done in my life, uh, that is one I have a lot of stories out of. In 48 hours, a lot of stories come out of that event. So that original 40-hour podcast thing. Uh, that, oh, that's that was, you know. oh, you're thinking of the 24-hour podcast. Oh, yeah, sorry. He's talking about the, no, no, the Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy Nick 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 oh, sorry, 40 hours. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. Yeah, it felt like 48 hours, Tim. Yeah, it did feel like That was only 24 hours. I, I still remember Tabor at yeah. that thing. Yeah. Getting on the, on the what was he, on the El Loco or whatever those things were. <laughs> Four Loco. Four Loco. Four Chan. Yeah, energy drinks uh, with alcohol in them. That, yeah, that, who's, whoever thought that was a good idea. Yeah, and I believe they're illegal now. I think it's like. They should be. <laughs> they're illegal because of that podcast. <laughs> but oh yeah so yeah sorry 40 hour you're doing a 40 hour reboot okay well that's also i'm into that you know yeah, sal, was, sal, sal was talking he's like we should talk to to norton and crank and and Seely and all those guys and do a a, a virtual 24-hour podcast i'm like and we're I'm all stuck like, at home anyway what are we doing like, for 24 yeah, hours I mean, that, we did that like 10 years ago and it almost <laughs> killed me then and i was in my 30s yeah totally man well, we can <laughs> chain it together. We don't have to all do. I mean, Norton Except would probably Tom. try and be Tom, twenty-four. Tom hours. Tom would be there for yeah. all twenty-four hours. <laughs> I didn't make the first one for twenty-four hours. I, I will like, do the twelve in the afternoon to two in the afternoon <laughs> slot. And you, okay? I'm putting my stake on that one. You guys, the two-hour podcast. Huh? Yeah, I've got. The, I've got. Hey, I'm taking two of the twenty-four hours. <laughs> all right. That's all you can Good handle. Man. I'll Good take man. it. One twelfth of the whole load. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sal's going to be talking to Crank about this. No, again. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, not I'm not doing. Uh, <laughs> so I see that sweet uh, Valiant uh, comic stand. Yeah, nice, right? Let's see if I can. There you go. 
little tour of my nice. office here. There's a bunch of uh, Secret Wars figures up there in the light stand. I got a Valiant when uh, when Bloodshot launched sent me a display rack. That's got my. Um, how you like I, the new Bloodspot or Bloodspot Bloodshot movie? What's that? How do you have you seen the movie? I have seen it. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, what Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah. You like it? Sorry, yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's like an action movie. You know, like. Um, I feel bad for everybody involved because that project is such a big culmination of all this work that Valiant was doing and, you know, doing all this, this like redoing the comics and, and Dinesh put all this work into it. And then it opens the weekend of the first lockdown. Like it's just how much unbelievable bad luck can you have, you know? Yeah. Um, But it's on demand uh, VOD stuff on, I think like Amazon and Hulu and a couple of things. So I just rented it off there. Oh, like uh-huh. Daredevil 180, 179? 168. One, okay, 168. Yeah. All right. Most of it's just, yeah, I put up like, I put up one copy of all my new books in there, and then whatever I'm reading at the time, I, yeah. I, I that's a nice, that's a, a That's a pretty sweet issue at Daredevil. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. It's not bad. It's a uh, lecture's name is spelled wrong on the cover, which is, makes it, that's her first appearance. Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. they didn't know her very well. That's true. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, but yeah, they sent it to me for that, and it was a big celebration. I got to work on the comic, and and then that movie was just got buried, and it's just insane how. I mean, that's the thing with working it with some of these stuff, like a, a yeah, you know, angling yourself towards making a film is that that can happen. Like you can just roll the dice and have them just land on the floor. I mean, think about the you, you know, know the movie, you, know, you know, for the people that are working on the James Bond movie. Thank God they got ahead of it and moved it while they yeah, could a full year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, I mean, you know, Black Black Widow, the new Wonder Woman, all that stuff has been moved. Um, I don't know if you're privy to this, or even if they're, or if you've looked at it. I don't know if they're if they're actually publishing it. But for the movies that didn't, the movies that released right before all that, like right at the top of the fucking wave, yeah. right before the lockdowns, yeah. how is the the online purchasing for these going? So, uh, I mean, I've been studying out of my own curiosity just in general. Sure. Um, Bloodshot, because it kind of was one of the first ones released, and I, I think it did okay. The one that did really big was Trolls World Tour. Well, of course, was, yeah. because all the because fucking cameras. Yeah, it did like $100 million on on VOD. So, like, That's not I bad. think... Yeah, um, great. You know, it's going to be this weird sort of change, because going to theater has changed already in the last few years. It's, it, it used to be you, go, you went to the theater... There's something to do out in public. And now your TV and your sound system at home is pretty much as good as the theater. And so for most movies, you're like, that's fine. You know, I don't need to see. I've got really good friends that uh, actually one of them works for Marcus Theaters here. And Marcus is the big name in in Milwaukee and the the region. They've got a lot of a lot of theaters. And then then her husband works for a company that services all of the projectors and and the AV stuff at the at the theaters. So that's, you know, they they're they're connected through at, at work through that. And the stuff that Marcus has had to do to to kind of change the the culture of going to the movies has been really interesting. I mean, they have restaurants in the movie theaters, and like ours down the street here in Wauwatosa, it's it's couches, right? And you get 
you know, you can order beer and like good food, you know, order like a chicken sandwich and, or, you know, what, I mean, like a, you know, good, a good chicken sandwich, not like a, you know, a big yeah. chicken. <laughs> well, they've got to compete with your living room now. I mean, and that's, yeah, you know, that's a new model. And it, and the way it was working would be that you would still go to see an event, right? Like that's why the Marvel movies would work because you, you had to, that was the thing you needed to share. You just see it before, you know, stuff was ruined for you. Sure. And so that worked. And that's why those movies are so successful. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, how are you going to do when you get people sort of trained to have access to everything? And, um, you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to be tough for movies for sure. Um, I, I hope, I hope, and I'm sure that the movie industry, the, the theater industry is hoping that none of the, the, the VODs, do so well that that the studios start saying, "Well, hey, let's just go this route." It's already <laughs> done. I mean, that trolls thing is that's it. That's the yeah, one right but there. that's a really. I mean, doesn't that and this this here's a comics tie-in. Doesn't that kind of feel like publishers saying, "Yeah, let's just sell direct." I mean, if only screw, because screw the grocery stores and the drug stores and all that. Let's just let's just sell direct kind of thing. You know, I, I think yeah. taking the movie theaters out of out of this or making movie theaters well, niche is a bad, bad decision. It doesn't I mean, cost them anything, though. I mean, it doesn't right, cost a movie studio anything to to also have it. I mean, they may do both. They may have it so that you can well, get the, it on the, demand. The current model is basically that you went on a movie and the first weekend is all that matters. The movie makes its money pretty much like 85% or whatever it's going to do. It makes that first weekend and everything else after that, you know, it's just, well, then it's international. Then it's what is it doing in China? And people like the people who are going to come see your movie pretty much go see it that first weekend. And the only ones that have repeat business are movies that are like stunningly good and Mm -hmm. people have buzz about it or, you know, um, are like an event movie that people see multiple times. So like Avengers, you know, and down Abbey. Like yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but like, so I think in the end it's going to be what probably will happen is you'll open a movie and then you'll show it for a week or two and then you'll get it on VOD immediately as fast as you can. Yeah. That, that seems like, I mean, they're still going to want that theater business because you can charge more and the concessions and all that sort of stuff. And you need that buzz. You need people going out to see something. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the current, like we were talking that on-demand model, like think of Netflix, they released, you know, that movie Bright, which was that they paid $90 million for that movie. That's a, that's a big budget film. Yee. Yee. Right. Yeah. That Will Smith, uh, fantasy. but it needs to be good. Well, I mean, but yeah, well, Yee. Yee. not for Netflix. doesn't well, matter. That's, that's true. That's true. What, what, I, what I like is, and we've talked about it before. Um, Sal and I have been nerding out on once upon a time in Hollywood, um, for months now. And, Right as the lockdown was hitting, you you weren't able to go, but you were going to go see a seventy millimeter print of it at uh, the Magic Box, right? Right. I, yes, I was, and right. I think that's that's neat that that is you know another another avenue that you know the the real film nerds have the opportunity to go and experience that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's, there's always going to be that kind of people. I mean, I think the music box will be fine, right? Yeah. Um, it's already dealing with that sort of, 
you know, model as it is. So it's not right. not so I, much is going to change and, for them. And at the same time, I think, you know, as, as much as, as the home theater is great and we can all buy, you know, 55, 70 inch big screen TVs with the sound system. I think coming out of this, I think people are going to crave going back to the movie theaters. I hope you're right. I, I think, I don't think they will. I don't think the shared. I don't think they will right away, but I think, Eventually they will. It'll take time. It'll, it'll be like everything else. I mean, it, yeah. it, I think you're going to see long lasting effects from this on a lot of things. A lot of businesses are going to suffer a lot of, you know, whether it's gyms or health clubs or um, comic you know, shops, comic shops, movie theaters, the places where people gather are going to suffer for a while and hopefully they can hang in there. But I think people will eventually uh, yeah. come back around I mean, to that. I don't think I don't think you're going to see like people stop going places. People stop wanting to, no. you know. I mean, I think it's going to change things. People well, we're trying uh, to go places now. But this, yeah, yeah exactly. Places now. People are going to stop going to the barber without fucking guns and fucking tread on me flags. Well, it brings uh, up an interesting point though. Like I wanted to ask you about Tim and if you want to talk about it, if you're willing to talk about it, is the uh the recent news about DC Comics and mm-hmm. they're changing their distribution model. They've they've decided that they're going to start going uh, digitally direct. And they're changing from Diamond because Diamond essentially has shut their doors. Um, and but they found two other distributors now to distribute comics starting uh, next week. DC is going going to be dis- distributing comics through Luna Luna Distribution, and um, I can't think of the the name of the other one. But it's two basically separate. DCBS and Midtown, right? Yeah. Yes, it's DCBS and Midtown, exactly. Which I know a lot of retailers aren't happy about that, you know, for yeah. different reasons. I mean, reasons, it's a tough, but- I, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of people about this, and, and I mean, I think Diamond has had a, you know, um, they've had a monopoly for 20 years, and um, everybody that, did it because it was longer easier. Longer than that, didn't it? Almost 25, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was still sort of the the last grips of, Capital and a couple of other companies, uh, Heroes World with Marvel and shit. But, um, but basically, so they've had it for a long time, and everybody's let it happen because they got their cut and they got it on time and they didn't care, and um, and so so they were happy. And I now you know, Diamond was having problems before this uh, with retailers, and and there's lots of lines of credit to sort of keep some of these doors open, and and so there was problems, and that's a lot of of more complex stuff. But, but I think the moment that it was no longer easy and reliable to use diamond, there was going to be people walking because they weren't happy with it. They were only happy with it because it was easy and, and because it worked. And if it doesn't work, no, nobody's going to weep for, for diamond, I, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, DC is a powerhouse uh, with this kind of stuff, obviously, um, Batman is kind of known as the book that keeps, you know, pays the electricity bills. Um, they're, they're kind of, you know, the elephant that they can push things around and, and they, they should, they, they probably should have 25 years ago. They probably should have said, no, we don't think this is a good idea. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, you're seeing people who had exclusive contracts with diamond. This is the other thing that that's kind of um, really kind of hurting a lot of people in this business right now is that, as far as it's book distribution, right? So, um, you know, trades and bookstore stuff 
different companies handle that. Not everybody has to use uh, Diamond, obviously. So, you know, uh, DC Comics can use Warner Books distribution. I believe that's what they use. Um, other companies use Random House Penguin. I think that's uh, Dark Horse and a couple other companies. Um, so they're still able to ship to Amazon, you know. And th- I mean, there's tons of books still being sold via Amazon. Um, they're able to distribute books. If they run out at Amazon, they're still able to distribute. Image Comics and Dynamite both have Diamond Books as their bookseller. Mm-hmm. And if you have an image book uh, like I do, uh, that's v- now it's suddenly very disheartening because you know you can't distribute to booksellers. Obviously, most of that stuff is is closed or, or whatever anyway. But, um, but you know, it just so, just shows you why this was a bad idea to begin with. Um, so, you know, I, I hope it forces some changes. Um, of course, retailers hate dealing with other retailers, but I don't see you know. And this is the other kind of thing about this business. I'm sure it's true of other businesses, but I only know this one really well. So, the problem that we have in comics is always that there are publishers, there are retailers and their distributors that's the third three major you know seller our branches of this of this business and when they all do their things separately they can work together because they don't get funny about the other one right but when the when any of these change into something else they start doing something else for instance marvel buys heroes world and becomes a distributor then everybody gets then the people other people get pissed off right um when uh you know amazon starts distributing comics or starts making comics instead of just selling them um, then you get people pissed off, right? Um, and this is the case. You know, Intel and DCBS are also retailers. Um, this makes other retailers uncomfortable. Why are they getting preferential? They don't want to, you know, treatment. Why, they don't want to order from them directly. They see them as a competition, not as, as their supplier. Um, that's always been the case in this business. And I'm sure that's true across it's the board. Not just comics. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but that's kind of where we are now. I don't see a solution to that. There is no infrastructure set up to do this except for the only other choice between DCBS right now, anyway, between besides DCBS and Midtown and they, they can handle different quadrants of the country, obviously, you know, different sections. Um, the only other choice is Amazon, right? <laughs> Amazon can distribute it. Yeah. Um, and has, it, you know, has in the past been, I think a possibility for comics distribution but they would just circumvent the customer or the stores altogether, right? They, you would just send the comics out and they would distribute like straight to your doorstep. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I don't, I, I don't think that's a solution comic stores want. So what else do they, what else choice do you have? I don't, I just don't see there's, there's not a lot of good choices. So, um, you know, hopefully people can kind of come together on this. And I, I think in the end, it's good to break up this sort of monopoly that diamond has had, but, you're going to see a lot of fallout and a lot of uncomfortable, you know, retailers. And I, you know, what's going to happen either way though, isn't it? I mean, it's going to happen if, if no comics are shipped for three months, what's going to happen? What is your other choice? No comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you know, it's, and so like some publishers can, can handle to varying degrees, not putting books out. um, But you know, or just subsisting on trades or subsisting on digital or doing direct consumer themselves. But Marvel and DC can't do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't see them. Why would they wait around? You know, so that's the, the situation as it seems to stand. And I, you know, when Bloodshot came out and, and didn't do very well and this store stuff balance seized up and they, I, I lost two gigs. I had two jobs that I no longer had. We, we had pencils down and, 
I had to take two weeks and uh, find new jobs. And I took, I did a bunch of commissions to make up for the money I, I didn't get. Um, and I, it worked okay, but like, you know, that's not great for the creators either. Right. I mean, so we want fucking books to come out. <laughs> right. Yeah, no shit. Well, Speaking the thing out, what about are you working it, on, man? Oh, Hold on, Chris, before we move oh. on real quick, uh, the the other part of it that I'm surprised I haven't really heard many people talking about is the fact that they announced at the same time that they're doing di- digital same day with the same oh, books, okay. the same books that they're shipping. They're going to, you know, same day digital, which I would yep. think would be more of a threat to comic book stores than the idea that they have to get distribution from, you know, DCBS or Midtown. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I don't think it is. Yeah, to me, to me, it's I don't think the having to wait two weeks to pick your books up, you know, I, whatever the the same day. I, I I don't think that's ever been a concern. I don't think, you know, I mean, I, I don't. That doesn't. I don't think it won't change anything for retailers. I don't think it'll hurt them. I don't think, you know, it's it's um, it's a negative. I but I guess I'm always sort of surprised the way people react to stuff in general. So I guess, you know, we'll see. I think they, a lot of comic store shops thought of digital as going to be this big threat and it wasn't anyway. Right. In any way. Right. Um, and, and, and I think for most, you know, the people who buy things digitally are a different group of people, generally speaking, than the people who buy things physically and probably a fair percentage of people, you know, who read things and try them out digitally turn around and buy the trade or something like that, you know, um, or people who just want to sample something. And if they like it, they come in and buy the, the regular books. But, um, so yeah, I, I just, if they could embrace that, I think they might, you know, embrace digital, embrace the future, but, you know, use it to sell more books. I don't know. I hope that's what people do. I hope that's what people think of it as, you know, I hope. <laughs> we all we all hope we all hope it's good isn't it? it i mean it's uh definitely challenging times for this industry in a lot of ways for a lot of different people um, when hasn't it been challenging for this industry well, the thing is, you know the, this is the thing that's always kind of pissed me off in general about about this business is that it's so it's so full it's full of nerds and the nerds are sort of self-defeating and so there's been this this attitude about this is dying and we have to you know the the people, certain people think they can save it. It's like, it's fucking fine. It's been fine. And it's been going up for at least 15 years. I mean, the, the idea that there's, it, it just drives me crazy that no one has ever, like, we should have been celebrating the fucking good times six months ago because they were great. Mm-hmm. And the idea that's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it pisses me off to no end that this sort of always big, like comics is dying and, and, you know, we have to switch to our Kickstarter model and go direct to the fans and, you know, all this sort of crap. Like, no, it was fine. People, women and children were buying comic books in huge numbers. And we never talk about how, you know, how much better the industry is than it was when I started. When I fucking started in 2003 or 2002, it was a shit show. <laughs> I mean, well, like, no, it's always a, like, what's the next thing that's going to save comics? What is it that we're, yeah. we're you know, and, and, and never. Uh, well, the know, answer is always comic. Comics always yeah. fucking saves comics. Someone comes out with a good comic and, and it's fine. You know, like the medium is fine. Like yeah. someone comes out with fucking dog man or, or flight or, you know, Rena Tegelmeyer does a book about 
braces and it's fine. And people are introduced to the medium and they buy a shit ton of books and it's, it's, you know, taught in schools. And like, I just, it's just this idea that like, we always have to save it. It's like, just celebrate the fucking thing for a minute. You know, like just, (laughs) no, uh, we don't get to do that, Tim. That's (laughs) not self-defeating enough. It's just, it's, uh, I don't know. And you know, things I, I teach, you know, so like I have, I teach at a college and, and uh, I teach a comics class. I teach cartooning for comics class. And, um, and the people who should be worried, I guess, in this business are Marvel and DC because they have not managed to get new people at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for the past five years, all my students read comics, but not, none of them read Marvel and DC comics. Yeah. Right. So um, I would be worried if I were those people because they're sitting their laurels and they're fine with selling to the same audience they've always sold to I mean, DC is doing a pretty good job because they're doing those. They're now doing like the Cami Garcia Raven book and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so they're getting their characters in front of a new audience, but Marvel isn't doing shit. And so those are the people who should be worried. But the rest of us, you know, the rest of comics are doing a really good job of, of reaching out to new audiences and doing new genres really well. And, and uh, one of the things that I've seen that, that I, I appreciate is that, and you remember 2003, 2006, um, you know, 2010, everything was about selling the option. Yeah. It's not that it's, it's, they lost, I, I really feel like creators and, and Sal and I would get emails from people all the time. It's like, yeah, I've got this, this comic that, that we came out with and this is the elevator pitch. And it was so, so transparent that, that they were just trying to get an option for a TV show or a movie or yeah. to, to get it somewhere else. And there was that real feeling for about 10 years that people, a lot of people were creating, not everyone, but a lot of people were creating comics as a springboard to something else. And and that goes back to kind of what you're saying about celebrate the comics. And I feel like there is a whole new generation of, of creators that they're there to make comics. Well, I think, and this may I'm not disagreeing with you, uh, um, but I think what happened is the that side of the business, this sort of um, comics being a launch point f- for other media, is so ingrained in the business now that you don't really. I think there was this this sort of misunderstanding of how this worked, and so you had this kind of rush of people. I would say not even comic creators necessarily. You also had all these screenwriters be like, "Well, if I do a comic." I can get it as this movie that I, I want to do. I don't know anything about comics, but I got this screenplay. Somebody turned it into a comic. And, and th- those kind of pitches, I think those elevator pitches, those high concept ones um, where they, they weren't made for anyone except for a movie executive. Yeah. You know? It's a werewolf, but he's also a detective. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. You know, it's, but the, I think that that's so much part of this system now, um, you know, right. Like, Netflix and, and there's so many options. Well, I, 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 I like when it happens not as the end goal, but as something that that someone picks up on and says, "Oh, this will work." Did you watch uh, Daybreak on Netflix? No, I heard about it. I didn't see it. Very, I enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah, it would probably drive Sal nuts because it's a little too high school musical uh, sure. for him. But I thought it was fantastic. And it was uh, 
just a total like indie book from a, I think a guy who was a teacher at is that the uh, one with the Savannah College of Art and Design the like yeah. zombie outbreak at the high school kind of thing yeah yeah I watched but, me and my son watched some of it it was yeah, it was I really good. liked it. It's a little campy for my taste, but exactly. It's yeah, it's a little high school campy. That kind of it's. I thought it was great. I think it was a lot of fun. Um, but that I went back and found the Daybreak comic book, and you know, total like very. It felt very top shelf to yeah. me. If they you know, and, and they have you know an aesthetic for for their comics, and yeah, I think the guy who uh, created it was he was a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design, you know. But I don't, it, and I and I read it, and it's like, yeah, this doesn't read like a movie script. Someone yeah. just fell in love with this and said, yeah, we can do something with this. Uh, I don't think it was made to be something else. It was made to be a comic. Well, I, I think part of the reason is, and for that, it just because I have to, I have to work in this all the time. Is is, is you're right that the way that we pitch things change. So, and this isn't a good way, but you're, it, it goes back to that idea of this sort of high concept pitch, and and um, you know, early in this, uh, when I started in this, you would go to like movie executives didn't want to read scripts, right? They were just no, I don't want to read a fucking script. But if you could hit them with like something easy for them to understand. Mm-hmm. And and it looked good, and it was part of an IP. So they did, it basically is like this fucked up business thing where um, if you if a screenplay comes in and you have to do business with the screenwriter and you have to lock down all this sort of stuff um, and read a bunch of screenplays, it's much harder than an IP coming in and someone saying this is already popular. You know, this intellectual property is proven and it works. They can just make an adaptation of that and hire the screenwriter they want to work with and and make it much easier. But it, it was all about this like the high concept pitch. And I think. What has changed now is when you go to these meetings, people don't say what what's the pitch, and you go, it's this meets this. They say, well, who's the, who's the character, and what's their arc, and what's this about? Which is what it should be, right? I mean, I think that's you know what that I think enough stuff came out that was high concept that people that was easy to pitch that didn't wasn't successful, right? Like, um, you know, I mean, I think I, I like Thirty Days a Night, but. Uh, it was a, such a great pitch. It's like, you know, it's um, it's vampires in Alaska when it's dark for, for you know, 24 hours a day. You're like, that's a great pitch. And then they paid millions of dollars for the option of that. And the movie came out, it did like, man, you know? And, and and Scott Pilgrim, which is a great movie again, but also like didn't do great because I think it was hard to sort of sell to people. Um, and now that. it's just like what works is just, yeah. things that people can be emotionally attached to and so the shit there the, the, i definitely had a my my hobby meets work moment uh about a week or so ago that uh, so i work for a company that makes uh rubber flooring it's very sexy right uh and we had a, a pretty good sized shipment of flooring that was going to alaska and the freight uh uh, quote comes back and it's like $20,000 for freight to get this, this truck of, of, uh, of rubber uh, into this town in Alaska and looking at it and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's Barrow. Barrow Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> it's the, the email chain. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean that, that place, you know, 30, you know, 30 There's days. Fucking vampires there, there, dude. It's dangerous. <laughs> fucking vampires it's going to be fucking expensive to send that rubber up there 
Jesus. <laughs> you guys know anything? You shippers? Don't you know shit? Yeah. It's like, it's obvious. I mean, come on. It's the northernmost town I've, in the United States. I've changed my attitude a little bit about that, though. Like, the, I, I used to be sort of like, you know, like you said, when you'd see something that was very obviously people trying to make a movie pitch out of a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you kind of turn your nose up at it a little bit, but I don't know. I've kind of changed my mind a little bit in that. Regard. I don't think just turn like, your nose up, but it's like when it's done well, that's great. Whenever it's, but that's like, anything. So, I mean, there's plenty of yeah. bad comics that are made for nothing more than to be a comic and they're not done well. So sure. it, it's all you stories. Turn your nose all, up at those all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> well, there's just, I mean, it, it's a story. Everything's a story. If it's done well, it's done well, regardless, I think whether it's made initially to be a comic, obviously the mediums are different and you can do different things, but how many, how many comics do you think come out on a monthly basis, at least before the pandemic uh, that take really any advantage of the fact that they're comic books? You know what I mean? Like how many, how many comics don't even really use the medium in that way? So it's like it's you're you're sort of like sure there there are ones that do there are writers that write with that in mind there's artists that you know draw very much using the medium use the medium to their benefit but there's a lot that don't they just you know you sure. know what I mean they're just sort of telling the story so like to hold something up to this preconceived height that rarely I think is met no matter who's writing it or drawing it. I think it's kind of silly, but that's me. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, if it's good, it's good. You know, I, it just, there was, I think a moment of people just thinking you could, you could dash something out yeah. uh, because it was a pitch and that's been gone for a while. I don't yeah. think, you know, um, you've, because now, I mean, people realize how much work it is to make a comics. Like if you're going <laughs> to, you're going to make this thing, you better fucking put some time into it. Cause right. it's, it's incredibly mm-hmm. difficult and, and can be soul crushing. And so it might you know, be easier really, to make a small movie with exactly like your phone. Right. It probably is. Yeah. You know? um, when was the last time you penciled a comic? Oh, it's been a long time. I mean, I, I've been drawing a lot for commissions and stuff, but I think the last time I drew pages was God, I drew some uh, one page of Batman. How long ago was that? Or two pages, like five years ago. I think it was the last time I penciled a comic. Was Wow. Really? I did a lot of covers, but yeah. What you I mean, doing? What, now, were you writing or drawing Ant Man? What was the last? Or it I was did like, both. That was the only thing I've ever been hired to do both on. Okay. And it was such a weird job because it was like a it was just a weird moment in that character where they were, um, you know, it, it, they it was part of the storyline that I'm not sure people were super into. It was a character they weren't going to use anymore. It was, <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah, but, was that the Scott Lang? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was Eric O'Grady, and uh, and then Hank Pym was the Wasp. And uh, oh, it was the it was the the Hester Parks um, yeah, Kirkman. Uh, was that the Giant Kirkman. Man? Yeah. No, yeah. no, it was uh, it was Eric, and he was uh, he was the like he was basically the pervert Ant Man. That was kind of the story. <laughs> he was kind of the pervert Ant Man. Uh. Was he kind of like the the like washout Shield agent? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I, it's I, not that. That book was fun. Yeah. I yeah, I like that book, that. and I I like working on the yeah. the comic. But that was the last time I wrote and drew something. It was like one of the only times, um, which is weird. I, it 
what a weird thing to be in an industry that demands that you write and draw. And if you do both, you never do it. What a, why is that? <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know. It never happens. I never, um, it's either the timing, like you can't time it out or because if I'm writing two books, I can't draw one, you know, I can write one and draw one, but, um, so yeah, it's just like, it's, I've never made it work. And it's sad. I, I, I mean, I drew comics straight for 12 years as a job. And the, and the idea that I haven't drawn a comic, uh, in five is, is pretty, pretty awful. I mean, is, I, is I, that, I, not, not, not that you're going to be going to any conventions anytime soon, but, uh, yeah. is it weird in the last few years going to a convention and people probably purely knowing you as a writer at this point? Well, I keep thinking that's going to drop that, that, but I always think like every year I'm like, Oh man, this is the year I don't get many sketches and it never happens. Uh, so people must find out somehow. I don't know how, Yeah. but the only time people don't know that I'm an artist is Twitter. Um, like, cause people will, I'll post a drawing. People are like, wait, what did you draw? Who drew that? I was like, and I'll say me. And they'll say, I didn't know you drew. I thought you were just a right. But like, <laughs> but, um, those, but people who come to me conventions, they never don't know. No one is ever surprised. Okay. Um, what do they ask you to draw? I mean, you know, it's all, it's almost always Cassie uh, yeah. or Nightwing or, um, but did you, did you, I wrote, draw, did you draw much hack slash? No, I, I mean, covers. I drew, yeah. I mean, a couple stories and. Yeah, couple, you didn't do interiors on that book. Rarely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And Nightwing, Which I didn't hilarious. do any interiors. Um, but I don't know. Like, and I, I, you know, I just did a round of commissions and I did probably four or five Nightwings, at least five, six. And I did a bunch of. Um, it's always like when you do sketches, it's always sort of like, um, uh, this is your life, right? It's always like, all, all the things that you've done, it, like, so I do, I did like some Dungeons and Dragons characters, the uh, Dark Elf trilogy. I drew that back a while ago. Oh God. I do, then I do some G.I. Joe. People have me do G.I. Joe. Uh, people <laughs> have me do Nightwing. People have me do... He-Man. Uh, He-Man, yep. Hellblazer. And then in Money Shot, I'll, I'll pay, people have me do my characters from uh, Money Shot. So it's like, people can kind of tell you what they like from you pretty much, you know? <laughs> so... That's it sketches. Yeah. It's I, I kind of forget about the GI Joe stuff. That was, that was really a big springboard for like you oh, yeah. and Mike Norton. That was, that was kind of the, was that the book that really kind of put you guys on the map? Yeah. I mean, so I started at devil's due as an editor um, and then, you know, got the job of drawing it because it was so much easier to just have me do it because I was talking to Hasbro every day and I knew what they wanted. So, um, so yeah, I just drew it on staff. I drew it for like two and a half years like, yeah, I went from like nothing to G.A. Joe, which at the time was selling, you know, 60,000 copies or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, so, Tim, uh, uh, yeah. not to interrupt that, but did you uh, did you sell that Dritz uh, sketch that you did? A while oh, yeah, ago? that was commissioned. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to want a Dritz sketch. I might, yeah, I might have to hit you up. That was like my favorite. Uh, those books, I absolutely loved those books when I was young. Oh, yeah, me too. I, yeah. I read them as a, when I was 13, so I drew that book. It was great. I got to hang out with Bob Salvatore. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like, but it, I, yeah, it is, to, to just go back to that, it, people haven't forgotten yet, but I think it's coming and I need to draw something. Otherwise, they are, I won't have any sketches to do. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I just don't know. It, it's so, I, I can't. I don't know what the situation would be. That though. next great battle pug arc is yeah. all yours. <laughs> well, I've talked to 
um, I, I would have to do a situation where, you know, I could work with a writer, but I can't, I don't know if I can write and draw something because I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm slowing down a little bit. I mean, I'm not as fast, mostly because I'm more sort of obsessive about quality than I used to be, um, which I think is just a thing as you get older. Um, so I have to work with somebody that I, that would let me be like, Hey, I got an idea for this. And they'd be okay with that. Um, so I don't know. We'll see if I can pull it off, but I've, you know, I pitched some of the books that I've pitched, I pitched myself drawing and then didn't have time for them. So, um, I mean, probably the last five books I've done, I pitched myself drawing it. And then when it came time to do it, I was like, uh, you know, I chickened out or I, <laughs> I had too much work or I, you know, um, but do you find it, the, uh, do you find it easier to write than to draw or harder or no. the same? I always think that's funny when there's that big conversation about who, whose job is harder, you know, and everybody always, everybody always like, Oh, the artist is so much harder. And I'm like, well, ask someone who does both because drawing is actually easier. I I hate to say this. It is easier. It's, it's technically more demanding and physically more demanding. No doubt about it. You're hunched over a table. I mean, like that part of it is more demanding, but you can zone out when you draw. um, And you only have to find one gig a month. When you write, you have to find four or five gigs a month. Yeah. So it is much harder to be a full-time writer. Um, just the amount of time you spend pitching, the amount of when you draw, you don't waste shit. You just, everything you draw goes on that goes out, goes in, you know, pretty much, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's very few write, writers that have four ongoing or you never I mean, ongoing. You might have four miniseries of six issues or yeah. Or you're working on a graphic novel or you're doing, you know, stuff that's, that's not comics related. You're, you know, selling toilet paper somewhere and, you know, for some ad company or whatever. Totally. Well, you know, you, you, there's probably a lot of writers that are doing writing gigs that aren't comic related. Greeting cards. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, shit, I'd do it. I mean, and, and part of it is just, you know, the, the, the way that this business is run, um, you know, the page rates and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, it's definitely comic book art is hard, but it's not, it's not harder than writing. It's just, it's just not. And, and when I, you know, when I do like two weeks of, of doing commissions, that's commissions, not pages, which is way harder, but it's like vacation, you know, um, just like getting to draw and just, you know, zoning out and, and be able to listen to music. I mean, that's fucking incredible. You can't listen to music when you're right. Uh, where you like, you can draw yeah, and watch. Try listening to like uh, instrumentals or soundtracks. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I can soundtracks. Yeah. yeah. Um, I usually I don't do it a lot, but I but I can. But um, yeah, it's just that's always been fascinating to me. I mean, if you only had to write one book a month, and, and yes, then it would be so much easier. But I get five days to do twenty two pages or twenty pages, and that's from concepting and breaking down how that's going to go to to final edits. That's five days. Uh, like, and it's usually, you know, I, I wrote a first, I started writing a first issue uh, this week. I broke it down yesterday. I had to write eight pages today. I'm going to have to write another eight pages on Thursday and four, I'm going to have to write another four pages on Friday morning before I go to, go to class, to teach class. So, you know, that's insane. That's, screenwriters don't fucking do that. Nobody fucking does that. Well, TV writers don't do that shit. So, yeah, it's harder. It just is. I, I've done both jobs. I did one for 12 years, done the other one for eight. Trust me, it's harder. <laughs> All right. We have the awesome. definitive answer. 
Yeah. yeah. Wow. Tony Moore just uh, absolutely disagrees with you. No, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and a lot of people, if you are drawing one book um, and you're doing a ton of detail and you're doing all that sort of stuff, it's very hard on your body. No doubt about it. No fucking doubt about it. Uh, and you get, you know, your wrist and all that sort of shit, um, your eyes, but mentally, not even close. Just not, not even close. <laughs> the uh, answer. What's that? It's that you can ask Phil Hester, he can back me up, but that's that's the facts right there. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to get like Frank Miller on, and well, he doesn't uh, have to do four books a month or whatever. Yeah, so that's like, true. It would he, be a good. He's done like four <laughs> books in the last. Yeah, month, so. a book a year, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about uh, Money Shot, because I I would be delighted to. <laughs> I haven't. I, I have to say, I haven't read it. Yeah, and well, what? no, money shot. that's money shot. Yeah, um, no, and the reason I haven't read it yet, I'll, I'll tell you, is I'm I'm a bit prudish when it comes to comics that are racy, comics that are uh, sexual, sexual, or you know uh, that kind of thing. And I think it, part of it is because it's like I still, even though I'm almost fifty years old, there's still this weird stigma, this like. Um, uh, thing I feel about like ashamed of that I'm reading comics and God forbid if someone catches me reading a, a sexual comic, like a porn comic, mm-hmm. like that would be that, funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know who feels who the people who feel the same way you do dudes, you know, who does not feel the way you do women, women, women have care. no problem with dirty comics. And <laughs> that's been like this huge education about, I mean, I guess I kind of suspected it to some degree, um, but women do not have a problem with it at all. They're, they're, when I get sketch requests, the dirty ones are always ladies. They're all thirsty. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but so money shot is a book. I mean, when I pitched this, I dealt with what you were talking about. Sal, hundred percent. Every publisher I took it to was like, that is an amazing concept. We can't do it. <laughs> it's just, um, so. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. Like, was there reservations about it? You know, doing it was, you know, how did it, how, well, let's start at the beginning. Like, how did it come about? How did you end up developing this with Sarah ba- uh, Beatty? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. um, that's, it was kind of her idea for the book or, or how did it come no. about? Well, so the, the, basically, um, one, at one point was, my wife was talking about uh, how um, we were watching something about science and, and they were talking about how um, it was so hard to get funny. It was, I think it was the, it might've been the, uh, last week's sign or something. We're just talking about funding for science. And, you know, obviously that's very, very well known. That's very difficult to get funding for science from the government. And uh, my wife made a joke to some degree that she said something about, they should have, um, they should have webcams and, and just get yeah. by the design. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. So <laughs> I expanded the idea to be like in the future, there's no funding for science. And this group of scientists has a, space travel device called Starshot. Uh, it's basically like a, it's kind of like a Stargate kind of thing. Um, but it's so expensive to use that when you use it, it basically costs millions of dollars to the electricity just to fund this, you know, just to start this thing. Um, and no one will pay for it because no one cares about science and they know there's aliens, but they're bored as shit. They don't care. So, um, but this main scientist named Chris, um, basically she goes home and was watching porn and she realized that everyone is bored of all the porn. Because in the future, uh, you can make your own porn. You can put deep fakes of your grandmother on the body of two women if you want. And, and you know, you can watch any horrible thing you can think of. And so people are bored. 
So she realizes we could fund all our stuff by banging aliens because no one has seen that before. So she gets these other scientists and they go on these sort of Star Trek adventures, sort of. Uh, <laughs> but the point the point is is that they have to um, fund all these trips by doing this. They, they now call it money shot. Uh, they they can uh, they fund the entire thing by shooting this porn, and that allows them to do the next trip, the next trip, and the next trip. Uh, and so it's a parody, obviously. It's satirical. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's cheeky and it's dirty, but it's like super sex positive. Um, and it's uh, – but I, so I had come up with the characters and uh, the plot, and I, I realized it was not a project that um, – well, when I pitched around, people were kind of like, ugh. And I, I realized, one, I'm, I don't have the joke chops to get through all this as much as I'd like to. And I thought it could use a women's touch. Um, so I pitched it to Rebecca Isaacs uh, as the artist and she was um, instantly into it. So I had her and, uh, Pervert. and then I, I, I've known Sarah Beatty. She's a Twitter comedian. Um, she has like 300,000 followers or some shit and Instagram and stuff. Um, but I've known her for t- at least 10 years. We met because she sent me a thing about, she was a fan of hack slash, I guess, and you know, whatever so she followed me like one of the first followers I ever got was Sarah and I turned around and followed her because she was funny and she had like 20 followers then now she has like 300,000 so we've been (laughs) friends for a long time um and you know we keep in touch and so I I, I've been trying to get her to work with me on something going back to like 2012 I think I had pitched her on a couple ideas um and she turned me down turned me down turned me down and so um I decided I would try her one more time and I, I just emailed her and I said, you should do this one with me. And it was just a short description. And she said, okay, I'll do that one. And she said, yes, I couldn't believe it. So she, uh, basically I, I write like the, well, she and I talk about stuff. Uh, and then I write the plots and then I send them to Sarah and she dirties up the jokes and she dirties up the scenes. And then, um, and then I finish it off and, um, and basically like anything super offensive in the book, that was her. So, uh, you know, you're able to just push that on her, huh? You just, (laughs) that was Sarah. That wasn't me. Don't worry about it. Totally wasn't me. Um, but she, Uh she is very funny. I, I've, I've actually followed her for a while too. I think she, I don't know if she followed me or she followed around comics or something, but I mean like years ago Yeah. and, uh, and I didn't really know about her that much. I didn't know that much about her, but then when this came out, I'm like, Oh, I, at first, I didn't make the connection, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, I know who she is." And who's and publishing next- that? Was it Image? Uh, Vault Comics. It's a Vault book. And so when I pitched this around, um, you know, everybody was like, "Yeah, we love that idea," and but no way. And uh, <laughs> nope. so I met the Vault guys because I did a um, they they did a video game job essentially where they staffed a, a, a video game um, writers room essentially. So it was me, Mike Bracy, and Elliot Rahal, uh, and the editor Adrian. Um, and so I got to know those guys through that job. And when I, when I, th- I was like, oh, okay, I'll try one more time. And I threw this at them and they immediately said, yep, we want to do it. And they were like, that's perfect for our market. It's perfect for book market. They didn't want me to change any of the dirtiness. Uh, they were super excited about Sarah. Um, so, you know, it just, it works. And it was, it was, a it was a big hit. It was their best selling book. Um, and, uh, it was Surprise! I think even for me that it, that it did so well, 
Um, but it's like, I'm just having to reach out to other markets because I, I just kind of feel like, you know, there's a whole world of people who want comics, but they don't have the same, you know, like approach of, of, of the regular Wednesday crowd, I guess. And so I'm, I'm trying to get books to those people. And maybe that's a terrible idea and I should just be writing, you know, fucking another Marvel or DC anti-hero thing or something. But, I, I, <laughs> you know, with with variant covers and and a new character that you must you must collect. But um, so um, is this sort of going to be do you think? Well, one, I guess one of my questions is ongoing. We, we started out five issues and then we went we sold well enough to go to 10 uh, and now we're ongoing. That's, oh, that's awesome. awesome. I went to I went to Amazon and uh, and looked it up. And your uh, your author picture is uh, the picture I took of you. Yeah, that's right. I, I took that picture. <laughs> I think it might be in one of my not in this book, but it's in some of my stuff. So but, uh, if you look at our rankings, we're, it's amazing. Like on Amazon, we're always like number one between one and fifteen. Of it goes up and down, but on the erotic section mm-hmm. of Amazon, so like. There's a lot of people reading that kind of stuff, you know, and, and those people aren't put off. They're, they're into it. So, um, sure. but yeah, the staff has been great. The design of the book is beautiful. It looks really nice. Well, it makes sense with her. I mean, I'm sure her audience specifically too. I mean, she's very Absolutely. sexual, yeah. uh, her Twitter. I mean, she's very funny. She's hilarious on Twitter and Instagram, but she's also, you know, very attractive and she's sexual and, and sex positive yeah. kind of person. So I'm sure did that did that make it easier to sort of sell the book because you you kind of had that built-in audience with someone like her attached to it? I mean, I, yes, I think it helped immensely to have Sarah. Um, it helped immensely to have Rebecca, and uh, you know, um, but everybody, I, I, you know, and Sarah's able to when Sarah, for instance, when Sarah was on, um, she never done a podcast before. Somehow, she's like from the internet. She never <laughs> done a podcast. And so she did word balloon with Suntress and like, it was instantly like his most listened to episode. Like he, just cause she tweeted it out, you know, right. we beat Bendis uh, on that one. And so she has this. Why the hell didn't we have her on the night? Come on, Tim. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't do video. She's too shy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, so she has this amazing reach. Um, she offends a lot of people, which I, I think is great. She offends people. I can't offend. Uh, she says what she thinks. Um, but you know, it's, I, I think it was a, it was the way to go. And I feel like this creative team is the right one. Kurt Russell, Kurt Michael Russell, uh, awesome colorist, um, crank is on letters. We, it's like a perfect meld and it, you know, it feels right to me. Like a lot of things I work on don't feel right, but this one I'm really happy with. So sweet. Well, I just ordered it. Awesome, man. I it, think will, it will, uh, it will, the prime shipping doesn't fucking exist anymore. So you know, yeah, you're gonna like nine days or something. Yes, I've clogged up the uh, the delivery system. I <laughs> just cost some poor person their uh, their insulin, probably. Nice so. job, good job. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, but I do think. I mean, the the thing I've also kind of found out from you know, just like you said, when you do this is your life, and people come and get sketches from you. Um, people, you know, they from at least for me, I'm, it's not sure for everybody. But people just like my creator on stuff with me better. I don't know why, but they, they like Hackslash better. They like Revival better, you know, than my other stuff. Even though whatever, you know, some Nightwing sold big numbers, but um, but they still, like, people feel personal connection to, to those characters. So, yeah. 
and you know, hack slash is sexy and I never really get in trouble for it. Like I think there's people who don't do sexy the way that is sex positive and it kind of creeps people out and they get a lot of shit for it. Um, I never got that with hack slash. So like I, I felt comfortable being the guy doing a sexy comic and, and uh, you know, um, it shows men and ladies somewhat sexy, but it's not dirty. It's not, well, it's dirty. It's not X-rated. The book is about porn, but the book is not porn. How's that? That's <laughs> okay. the description. There you go. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's cool. It's, um, um, uh, speak uh, a couple other things that, that you've worked on in the past that, that I come back to, uh, they just, uh, had the Robin 80th yeah. anniversary comic yeah. and you've got you and Tom King. Yeah, have, we did, uh, Agent did you write that agent 37 story just for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was great. Loved it. Uh, yeah. I mean, the idea was to have it be just sort of a, a snapshot like of that yes. old, uh, creative team. So it's the same people who worked on Grey Sense, me, Tom, Mikhail, Jeremy. Um, I think even Carlos Manguel came back to do the letters. Um, so it looks and feels like that comic. And, uh, you know, and Grayson is another one of those, like it's kind of, um, you know, I've had plenty of stuff that came out and then was completely forgotten, but Grayson sort of, you know, kind of still has a base of fans that I know the omnibus still sells because they keep reprinting it. And I keep getting royalty checks for it. There you go. Nice. So, yeah, it was like, really yeah. good. I mean, it was I I love like that series a lot. Yeah, I like that series a lot too. I I really like what you did with that character and and it was a little. I think in a weird way, it's sort of ahead of its time in, um, and also like it's in we they struggled what to do with De Grayson and we figured it out. And then then we had to go back to Nightwing, which because I think there's the perception that that's the sort of most well known version, but um. But then they don't really know what to do with Nightwing, you know, like with Grayson, we figured it out, we figured out, here's what you do with him. He, he has to be away from the family, but he's got this duty, you know, and so I think it worked um, better than, than some versions of Nightwing do. So, but yeah, I, I'm happy with it. That story was funny as hell to do. Uh, there's like a bunch of weird moments in it. Got the there are some weird moments in it. <laughs> yeah. Which is supposed to be because Grayson was a weird book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I get to work with Tom and Mikael, which is always delight, and the editors. So, um, yeah, I, I really got a good time with that one. So, you know, I know that uh, you know we talked with you before about you know working co co not, and it's not really co writing, but it, it was kind of an interesting and odd um, setup that you and Tom King would have. Can you describe the creative process of of having two writers on on a book? Yeah, I mean, now it's even funnier because Tom is such a, like, well-regarded writer. And, and and so for me to even think what we should have just had him write everything. Um, but at the time, you know, he was sort of new at this. And uh, I was the old pro, I guess. And But he had lots of experience in the actual world of espionage. And, um, and so we, you know, figured out ways to utilize that, even metaphorically, I think. But our process was just, you know, we didn't know each other. Uh, we had never met. DC put us together, uh, which could have been a disaster, but worked out. Um, but you know, we were just introduced via phone and they said, Hey, you guys figure some shit out. So we just had like this big conversation and we agreed on everything. Um, and then, you know, I would write one issue and Tom would go through, uh, and add stuff and then he would write the next one and we just alternate issues. Okay. Um, and I mean, some of them, I think you can very distinctly tell who did it, but a lot of times people don't, they can't tell. 
um, cause it's sort of a blend of our aesthetics and, and stuff. And you can, the ones that are really sort of, Tom has always been a formalist and he really likes to mess with. So, so you guys yeah. came out with the, with the outline of like an arc. Yeah. And then would just trade off issues and then collaborate kind of after you would do like the first draft of, yeah. of an issue. I'm kind surprised. Of, you know, going and smooth things out together. I'm surprised yeah. you don't see more of that kind of thing in comics, almost like a writer's room setup, you know, like a, a you know, like TV shows. I mean, because the demand yeah. is so, you know, intense, it, like you were talking earlier about how many pages you have to write by yourself every single month. It's like, why not have, and you've seen some of it, especially with like big event books. You have a, yeah, we did it on Batman Eternal. Yeah. We did the, the, through the writer's room style. Yeah. I mean, and I looked forward to working on that book so, so much. It's still like one of the most fun I've ever had writing something. I mean, the only book I have as much fun doing is probably Money Shot. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, and we would try to top each other um, and we would, you know. You like, bounce stuff off each other. You're able to just build yeah. off of that relationship, I would imagine. Yeah, and it, I think one of the things that really worked about it um, was that we didn't know each other. And uh, but just as, guy, as, as dudes, we get along really well. Um, and so part of it was just like not trying to, ram you know like try to force the other one to be something they're not we were we were like truly collaborating because we were kind of figuring each other out um and it was it was a blast and when we did that one for the robin 80 special um you know I, my dad had to have this emergency uh heart surgery and so we're at the hospital and i have and and uh we're waiting for him to do surgery and and so i talked to tom and i was like you know, we got to do this Robin thing. I'm sorry. We got a good idea. I'm at the hospital. It kind of sucks, but I have to get writing. And he came up with like the basic outline in like a minute. And like, then we just talked about dads and then I wrote it and sent it to him and he added dialogue. And then we fixed around some stuff and he had some ideas and we we're done. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was like, a great, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you know, it's, if you hadn't worked like that before, there's no way you could have done it. And it's, it's, it's kind of neat to have a relationship with, with a, a writer like that. I mean, you, you yeah. hear about writer artist relationships all the time and we've seen, you know, a few, a, a few examples of this, I think what, like Brubaker and Fraction, they did, what was the what, Iron Fist? Were they doing Iron yeah. Fist together? Yep. Yeah, I think so. And then um, um, there's a, yeah, a couple, a couple of, I think like Ed, Brube, Ed, Ed Brubaker was doing that with a few people. I think he worked with Andy Parks, on some stuff and yeah, it's the, uh, you, you see that, that there's been uh, a few, a few writer teams and uh, it seems to bear some pretty good fruit. Yeah. It's just, you have to have people who are okay with like, you know, sort of subverting their own ego or expectations um, to know that it's not going to be you. It's going to be you and someone else, you know? And so whatever that new thing is, um, you know, I, the thing about Grace Orange I think is interesting is that it's it's a fusion of Tom and I, right? Like it's got the sort of formalism busting stuff that Tom does, and it's got like the emo- Tom loves to write about relationships, um, so it's got a lot of that. Like it's got the you know the sort of um, romance aspect, but it's got then like weird shit that I like and and bring in a bunch of DC uh, Wildstorm characters, and that's something I like. So you got that and. Um, you know, Tom loving like old comics. So we did that Robin dies at dawn story. Like you get everybody's 
fusion into something that you wouldn't have done necessarily. So yeah, I, I wish it was done more often. Um, and I, that's kind of the, that model um, is what I kind of used for money shot with Sarah, which is, you know, I can do the plotting and sort of the arcs and stuff, but I just let her, you know, whatever kind of joke she wants to do, we'll, we'll find room for it. We'll find a way to do it. So. Cool. I look forward to reading it. It's good. It's my favorite thing I've done in a long time. So I, I recommend if you ever like my shit, try this one out. I promise you, you'll be into it. <laughs> I think we're any having more, uh, any more hack flash on the, uh, on the horizon. Yeah. I'm always kind of working on it. I have to just figure out a way to do. Yeah. I, I'll do something with it. There's always something. I just, <laughs> I haven't figured out, you know, I have to figure out like horror stuff has changed since we started it. So if it's, if it's a story about horror movies, you know, I have to figure out a new, what's the thing about horror movies now, right? That's the question I have to ask. Um, they're all escape rooms now. It's, uh, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, and there's the tropes kind of, you know, um, change as time goes on. I mean, I think the, the core of the slash movie stays the same, but I, I just have to figure out something I want to say about it. I think that's the, mm-hmm. you know, that's always the question with that book. So, do you find it hard with that book to to sort of, I mean, it's it's kind of steeped in the '80s slasher movies, and I think thinking about that right now, it's like you know, yeah, it's a perfect movie for today. Like it's a per, you know, the, the, it yeah. blends so slasher many never things. Went away. That's, I mean, there was like a brief moment when they got replaced by like Japanese horror movie remakes, but <laughs> I mean, there's still Blumhouse puts out like great slash movies all the time, you know, right, uh, right. and good high concept stuff. And, um, people, you know, you can reference the tropes pretty easily because they never went away. That's one of the inadvertently genius thing I did with hack slash. It wasn't on purpose, but there's two things that keeps it evergreen. One, the goth fashion thing. She doesn't look dated. She still looks <laughs> right. That shit's still fine. Yeah, right. Like, Oh yeah. For sure. And that was an accident, but Cassie doesn't look like a character from 2004, uh, that doesn't matter. Like it, it's, that it's might totally change fine. hot topic. I don't know if hot topics going to stick around after this, uh, you know, yeah, maybe not, but like, <laughs> you know, th- there's always a new name for goth kids, like goth pods, yeah, they're emo yeah. or they're e-boys or whatever. It always fucking, there's always around. And yeah, that never goes like, out of style. Yeah. And like, you know, you don't have to really redesign or anything. Um, and then, uh, slash movies like just keep, they keep showing up. And so if you do something about them, you're fine. Everybody's familiar. They're, they never, you know, they never go away. They're always fresh in a weird way. Well, that was uh, when we were talking about blood, uh, bloodshot. I, the, I saw the movie and I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And what I, what I liked about it the most was the, the way that they played with the trope of a, of a typical action movie and, yeah, and the revenge movie. Right? Yeah. They, they, yeah. And which is I, part of the comic. Um, but yeah, I, my, my take on that movie was like, that was definitely the best action movie of 1997. Like it, it, you know, it like not that it looked updated. It did. It, the special effects were great, but it's the kind of movie they made in 1997, right? right. Like the kind of action movie, um, which they haven't made in a while. That kind of like, sure. you know, uh, like aggressive, um, you know, just all out action, military shit. They just don't make a lot of those now. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought that was a refreshing movie in that it was, it was not refreshing, you know, <laughs> in a weird way. It was like, it's something you've seen. It was kind of comfort food, but it did have some new ideas and um, some really well shot stuff. And 
Yeah, I um, thought it played. I mean, like I said, I thought it played with the tropes really well. I wasn't expecting the the sort of twist that was in there. I thought yeah. it was kind of interesting, and I was like, oh, okay, that you know that because it it sets it up as very much a typical, like you said, nineteen nineties action film. But then it's like, oh no, the, there's a there's a surprise here. Yeah, there's a modern twist. Yeah. yeah, I liked it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and that character, you know, I think is um, he, he just looks cool, and but then you have to. So people are like, oh, he looks neat, but then you have to, I know I have to work on him every month, but, um, <laughs> but you have to add like heart to him and they did a good job. They figured out like an emotional, yeah, you know, because he, he always looks cool, but can you give him something to, for people to lock, you know, lock onto? Right. Something more than just the guns and explosions. There's yeah, a lot of explosions. Cool. There's a lot of explosions in gunfire. It's very explodey. Yes. It's very explodey. There's a, <laughs> there's a flower fight. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. The flower fight scene, which yeah. is great. Yeah, it, it worked. I, I thought I'm not expecting that. That no. was pretty. <laughs> All right, I'll check it out. So, um, going back to Money Shot, I'm wondering uh, how how much research did you have to do uh, for Money Shot? Was there a lot of cam cam watching? Was there a lot of? Uh, but seriously, like, <laughs> I mean, you, I'm already. Like I'm, I'm familiar, obviously, with porn in the way that most people are, but sure. um, but I've always been interested in the business, I guess. Yeah, no, and that's what I meant more so. Is yeah. did you actually sit down and talk to anyone that works in the I industry? Did, yes. Yeah. Um, and I have a friend. Um, I actually met her at a Masters of the Universe convention. But uh, Tanya Tate is a friend of mine. She's a porn star, um, and she's a wonderful fucking person. And her husband is a manager for um, for for you know stars. And um, so I asked them questions uh, about the business and they helped me out. I went out, uh, my wife and I went out for drinks with, uh, with Tanya and her husband and several of Tanya's friends who worked in the business. Um, and they were, they were just so many great stories. And they were such interesting people and they were such lovely people. Um, so that was a big basis kind of, of, of stuff. And then, um, yeah, I actually like read a bunch of articles just about the business of, it's changing so fast. The sort of the model of, of, of adult entertainment um, is changing faster than anything else. And the original headline of byline of the book was uh, porn leads innovation, which is, has been true for a long time. I mean, that's why you had VHS over beta. That's why, you know, DVD, you have DVD instead of. All um, I, 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 I want to jump in here for a second. Yeah. I bought a goddamn HD DVD player. Okay. Because because Dumbass. that's because porn adopted it, and God damn it, if everything didn't go to Blu-ray, so I'm going to call you out on that one. <laughs> that's right, that one. It all did. fucking stopped with HDD, HD DVD. Good point. Okay, so they missed it on that one. Yes, um, but generally speaking, you know, like the the web model um, that 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 a lot of people will probably be adapting. You know, Pornhub has been doing that that version for a long time. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting business. Um, they have the same problems, of course, as just about every other thing. But, um, but you know, it's very – it's performer-centric. Um, they, they often now kind of have more control of their destiny than the old sleazy models of, of the former former porn business. So, um, and yeah, so, I've, you know, I did as much research as I could. I'm always interested in talking to people. Um you know, I, I'd known people who were cam models and stuff before this. Um, so I kind of had an idea of how that sort of stuff worked. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and it's we obviously extrapolate and do some uh, exaggerations and, and stuff. But, 
Um, but it's based on, you know, a fair amount of fact. There's, there's more, I had to do, like, I had to research science as well. So there's a lot of research in this book. There's slightly more on the porn side than the science side. (laughs) (laughs) There's a book, uh, uh, it's an audio book and I think it, they turned it in, it was an audible original, but they turned it into a podcast. I think you can get it on Stitcher or wherever else, but, um, it's called the last days of August. Okay. Um, it's by a writer named John Ronson. He's a, uh, he was a journalist, but he, he's written a bunch of books that are, um, nonfiction. And this one is about a, a, a porn star, um, named August and, and, uh, it's a it's dark, it's a dark story. It's not a feel good story about the industry necessarily. Wait, but, is it about August Ames? The yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Sure. I heard about that. Um, really good. I mean, really well she done. She did. Yeah. But it's it's sort of the the uh, look at you know what what you might think led her to doing that, and then the actual reality of it. You know, it's a, it's an interesting. Um, it's an interesting industry in a lot of different ways, um, you know, but I think there's a lot of preconceived notions, too, that people have about it that aren't necessarily true all the time and, and can sort of uh, – uh, can play out – things can play out a lot differently than what I think people assume when it comes to yeah. those, you know, people that are wor- that work in that industry. Well, and that's one of the reasons I really want to work with Sarah on it, too, is and she doesn't do film or adult – she doesn't do porn or anything like that, but she is like somewhat naked on the internet. Um, so she, she's an Instagram star, right? So she, she gets <laughs> it. And uh, so some of the jokes in here are so authentic because they're things that Sarah lived through. Um, and she understands that sort of stuff. You know? So, um, I, which is obviously something I don't know anything about and no one would ever want to uh, see me, my Instagram, whatever. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it's like, you know, one of the things I, I, I've benefited from in working with people like Tom, who was an actual spy doing, a, and we did a spy book and then working with, with Sarah, who is a, well, one, she's an actual woman. Uh, and two, she, she understands. <laughs> um, an, well, as far as we the, know, she's an actual woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she understands some aspects of this side of the world. Like I think you get really authentic material that way. Sometimes, you know, jamming like that, which is one of the reasons I, I really like to do it. Um, and I, you know, for me, writing is sometimes the the most interesting part is the stuff that doesn't make it in, just stuff you learn, you know? Um, so, you know. Well, I would I'm imagine you also have that. to, I mean, you have to get something you're interested in, right? Like you have to, yes. I mean, how else do you come up with something, you know, month after month after month if you're not, you know, your interest isn't being piqued by a subject or by a character or by emotion or whatever it is, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's phoning in. Yeah. It's always remember Peter David talking about, and this is when I was a kid, I read his interview in Wizard. He's talking about how he's writing X Factor and how it felt like having sex with a really thick condom. He's like putting all the effort and he couldn't feel anything. <laughs> and I was like, what? How could that be? Because this book is so great. But um, now I understand what he's talking about. It took me 20 some years to get there in comics. But like I have worked on things where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm Peter David in this situation. I need to get out of this. Yeah. Just working on this really hard, and nothing, not, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, but uh, sometimes I think you know, what are you going to do? It is what it is. It's a job too. Like you can't as much oh, as Warren it's, Ellis talks about it all the time. When you know he 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 talks about come forward to the mic, Chris. Oh fuck, my back is hurting. Uh, no, uh, Warren Ellis talks about that. 
pretty often whenever he's, I mean, he's, he's pretty, you know, upfront about it. It's like, yeah, if you see me doing stuff for Marvel or DC, it's, you know, I'm, I'm cashing a paycheck. Yeah. Too bad. Cause he's so good at superheroes. I think he's full he shit is. a little bit, but. A little bit, uh, sure. A little bit. I mean, or just really good. Yeah, we're just really good. But I mean, certainly, like there are Marvel DC characters I work on that I do. Obviously, I feel something about it. I'm having a really good time. Um, you know, all the Robin stuff, all the bad stuff. Um, you know, I, I definitely. But even still, you have to. You have to. Like, I can't. I can imagine month after month. If you're working on a book for a long time, and month after month you're trying to tell these stories, and it's like, okay, at what point does it? It's not about like this is an interesting character, a character that I love or a character I grew up reading or whatever. It's like, I have to tell a story. I have to come up with some kind of something people will connect with something just, you know, structure and all that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, I I was talking to Kirkman about this once and he said, he doesn't really get, he doesn't really get a book until it takes like, until he's like at issue 50, which is why Kirkman does like (laughs) hundred some issue runs on things, you know, Um, but uh, I'm just warming up. I, I, I kind of, I, w- I wish I had a book that all of a sudden I really got it at like issue 20. I wish, I wish that would happen. Yeah. I think I struggle in the beginning. I struggle in the middle. I struggle at the end. It never, I, I've never had like something all of a sudden, well, not never, but um, it doesn't happen to me a lot, you know, like that just, oh yeah, I get it. It's like just coming now. Like it's, well, how many it's always the same amount of work. How many issues was Revival? 47 plus, plus the crossover with Chew. So 48. Yeah. I mean that. That seemed like a, I could, Epic. I, well, I could also feel yeah. like when you were hitting your stride with it, it felt like with mm-hmm. that book, you know, sure. I feel, you know, yeah. after 20, even before that, I think like by the time you were getting to 20 issues of that book, it felt like you were really in a, in a group. It's like you found, book. you finally understood where, what Wausau was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I always think, you know, that's the thing yeah. I've been thinking about lately too is, you think about shows like Cheers or something or Simpsons mm-hmm. where like they didn't really figure out what they were until like four or five seasons in. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, Simpsons didn't realize it was about Homer until the fourth season maybe. And, and Cheers, you know, kind of struggled and then they nailed it. And then they, and, uh, and you don't get that much now. Right. Most shows kind of, they don't they survive long these, enough. No, no, they get two seasons. Oh my, but, Seinfeld would never exist in today's network. TV environment. They would never give it as long to develop as they did then. Yeah. I can see like maybe in streaming, something might hit. Like if you ever seen the show Shit's Creek, it's an interesting case. Yeah. It was a show that grew, yeah. it grew its audience over time. Rare scenario got six seasons out of that. But that's uh, coming out of, you know, what CBC. Right. And, yeah. It's and, really different. You know, they're kind of, they were too polite to cancel it. <laughs> right. But it, but it grows but into it's a show, but it's also the way a show that, that shows used to. Yeah. And it's also a show that, like I, when that show hit, I was like, what? And I had watched a couple of episodes and I was like, eh, I didn't really care about it. And then my daughter wanted to watch it. And so I started watching it again. And like a season in, you start to go, oh, yeah, this is about like a, a fucked up family that yeah. is trying to find themselves. And I get it. And then, but it took us, you know, it took a good half a season, three quarters of a season for me to really get attached to those characters. And then I fell in love with it. Right. Yeah. Well, one one of the, one of the one of the birthday gifts I got for for Marta this year, because she you know that she can hear me. Uh, I got her a, a t shirt <laughs> that says uh, "End of the Wine, Not the Label." <laughs> nice. Which, 
one of the greatest scenes yeah. in any sitcom ever. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I think about that with comics too, because you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, with Frank Miller, like he got some time to figure out Daredevil, Yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that doesn't happen that much. You usually get four or five issues. And then if it doesn't nail, you don't nail, it doesn't hit big numbers. You're off. Um, you know, so just this, Peter David on the Hulk, you know? Yeah. It took him for a long time to figure that out. When he figured it out, it was because he tried all the things that he wasn't interested in. Then he found the mm-hmm. smart Hulk thing and put it with the Pantheon and all great stuff happens out of that. Um, and you just, it's really hard to get that now. So, um, that's one of the things that I was talking to Vault about with money shot is like, they're like, we want to, you know, get you into a groove. I can't believe I'm writing issue nine. Cause I never write ninth issue of something anymore. <laughs> right? It's just never happens. So I was like, I'm doing the sixth issue. And I'm like, well, see you later. That was a mm-hmm. bunch of work as six weeks of work. And now I'm moving on to something else. What's the, but, the guys, uh, what are the guys, at, guys and girls at vault like? Cause they seem, I mean, they, they seem like they're, putting out a lot of interesting books and, and looking to take chances with some stuff. And uh, I don't know much about the company. Can you, can you tell us yeah. anything about No, it's really, it's a very interesting company. Um, it is two brothers, the Wassel brothers, Damien and Adrian. Um, they pretty much are the, the do most of the function. Damien is the publisher. Adrian is the main editor. Uh, Tim Daniel, who is a designer and comic book writer and artist. Um, he's their sort of uh, editor and um, production guy. And then they have like a couple other people uh, and, and it's very small and that's pretty much it. Uh, they're based out of Missoula, Montana. Um, and uh, they have an office out there. Um, they, they sort of come from the publishing book publishing side of things. I think that's their big influence. You'll even notice like their monthlies have a summary on the back cover, sort of like a novel does. Um, so they treat it like books. Um, they have good relationships with uh, some fantasy authors like Brandon Sanderson and some of those big type dudes. Tell that asshole to finish that next fucking book. Whoa! I, as, I, as I understand it, he's working on it. God, uh, yeah, yeah, eight goddamn years. <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm not familiar with the, with the work, but I know that that he's a big deal for them uh, doing some comic stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, they, I just they you know they started their finish first the book. stone door. God damn it! <laughs> I'll tell Volk. They just get on it. Next time you're at the uh, retreat for Vault Comics, can you? Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and Vault kind of started small uh, and slow. Um, they did this uh, Viking comic, um, and I always fuck up the name. I don't know why I do it. But uh, they did, uh, it's um, Heathen, it's called. I, I never remember. It's, it's really good, but it's about a, sort of a, it's a lesbian uh, Viking story. Uh, really well done, um, really interesting, really well drawn. That kind of put them on the map. And then they, they you know, they work with, um, it tends to be sort of new talent, but some established, I guess. And they just do interesting stuff. And I think their their approach is sort of like what Vertigo was um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, which was everything Vertigo does. If you like what Vertigo does, you'll like everything they put out, right? Like right. that's kind of the, the tone. You know, um, yeah. And that's kind of Vault's thing is like, if you like one Vault book, you probably like all of them. They have a similar uh, aesthetic. approach, aesthetic. Um, it's really Adrian and Damien's aesthetic, I think. Um, and I really like working for them. I, I think that so it sounds like they're publishing books that they like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they have a really good, um, you know, long-term plan. I think, uh, obviously I've worked for small companies before and, I worked at a small company before and, you know, I know how important it is to sort of have a, a vision and, 
you know, and also a plan for when shit goes bad. And, and these guys, you know, when the pandemic stuff happened, they had a pretty easy pivot to, to, to soliciting their, I mean, to distributing their stuff. And, um, you know, they do a lot of stuff outside the comic industry. So they were able to sell through bookstores and stuff. We still are working. We're, we're not on a pencils down. So I'm still writing my vampire, the masquerade book. and I'm still writing money shot. Um, really? So yeah. you, God, vampire, the masquerade is still around. Well, I mean, it's back. It's back. Right. It's back. With the uh, it never really went away, but it got, yeah. it's been recently sort of, uh, there's a, there was a new video game and a new RPG and, uh, and stuff. So we're doing a comic for that. I still go back and watch that old TV show every once in a while. Ken, was it Kindred, The Embraced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't, that's part of the, the whole mythos, right? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, they have a current sort of web-based uh, show. Um, so there's, yeah, the fans are still out there, man. Now, did, did that show, I don't even know if you know or not, did that show get canceled and then the kind of lead actor died in a motorcycle accident or did he die in a motorcycle accident and they're like, yeah, fuck it, show's canceled? Shit, I don't know. I don't know anything about that show. It, it, there's an era of TV of which I saw nothing. Yeah. So basically it starts with like Buffy and, and, and I don't watch TV again. It's, until, it's, it's pre Buffy. So it's still kind of the very goth yeah. vampire thing. And what was interesting about it, and I'm sure it's, it stayed canon is, is they have the different casts. Yeah. Of, oh, that's absolutely part of this. Story. You know, the Nosferatu and then they had the sparkly ones and yeah, you know, like the biker clients. gang ones and the uh, premier, the anarchs, the, 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 like, the, the Italian mafia vampires, you know, yep, basically. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, neat show. I, I I don't know how well it's aged. It's been a while. It yeah, probably, you reminded me about that. I'm going to pick that up because I didn't see it then. I knew about it. Um, yeah, it's called Kindred I, the Embraced, I think, was the name of the show. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm on issue four of the comic, so I won't have any influence, and now I can watch it, and it won't be a big deal, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it, at the time it was really good. It, it probably watches very much like a late '80s, early '90s. Yeah. Um, what would have been what UPN was, was UPN even still around, yeah. or yeah, were they around yet? Yeah, it was uh, a it was a Fox show. Was it a Fox show? Yeah, I have to look it up because okay. I'm just not. I, I I now that you say it, I remember it, but I didn't remember it at all uh, while I was working on the book. I, Holy shit! Yeah, no, it's on. It's on YouTube. At least some of it is on there. I'll check it out. Nineteen ninety six. One season that late? Eight really? episodes. That is definitely when I stopped. I was in college, so like basically from ninety six, ninety five until like the last season of Sopranos. I don't see any TV, and then okay. <laughs> so, I've been, so I've been catching up now because I, I missed everything. I think Breaking Bad is when I came back to TV. So okay, but, but I'll, I'll have to check it out. Speaking of that. There'll be some actors on there that you'll recognize. Um, the yeah, they'll be great. Can we move on from the kindred, the embrace talk, please? <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Talk about this fucking TV show from twenty years ago that nobody watched then. Twenty five, twenty four years ago. Yeah, I'll check it out. It's on the show. But yeah, we're doing a comic based on the the game. Um, I'm doing it with Vault. Um, and uh, it looks awesome. We got uh, uh, this dude, Dev, is the artist. He worked on some image stuff. Um, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. So, uh, Did you, Have you played TV? the game? Have you, have you – I, I don't even understand the game, quite honestly. I've never I've – never It's like D&D, but like with – Vampires. We're running around. I mean there's, there's – uh, what do you call it? A live 
action, a LARPing version, I think. Okay. Um, I've never played it. I had this. Oh, text of course, there text. is. I had the source books though. Um, I bought them because they had this awesome uh, Tim Bradstreet illustrations. Oh, nice. So I, I read them. I didn't have a way to play with. We 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 only played D anD D and Shadowrun and Marvel. Uh, so in LARPing, do people stop to roll dice? I don't know, <laughs> but the story I always tell, uh, and this is true. When I was in college in 1997, uh, I had a, a job at the the school union Burger King, um, and so because I needed a job because I would I didn't have uh, any money. So, um, but every Sunday night I would work at Burger King. That was my shift, and that the Burger King was some kind of stopover. It was a club in the LARPing for the LARPing uh, game club, and um, but like it was a dance club. Like it was like a place where the the vampires would come to get information. So. They would <laughs> our, and, and sometimes they would tell you like, hey, um, just so you know, we're going to be in here. Or if you see this character person, you know, with a staff or whatever, or, or stakes or whatever, they, they had to use like plastic stakes and stuff. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, the, the story I always tell was it was all dudes, except this one girl, she was an exchange student and she was Russian yeah. uh, and she was dumb, gorgeous. She was drop dead, fucking gorgeous, you know, and uh she would always wear her character's clothes was this long red dress, like this, you know, shortcut, long cut up the thigh dress. And, uh, and so, you know, I'd be sitting there making fucking whoppers and then I'd look up and there'd be this, this vision uh, of this girl. And, uh, and then all these dudes just falling all over her. Oh, right? sure. It's just amazing yeah. to watch. Um, but I'm trying to work in that girl <laughs> into my, into this comic because it was, amazing. Just, it was such a weird, uh, you know, and the other people, you know, they would dress up too, but not like she did. Like, uh, they would wear, one guy wore a suit jacket. I remember the other guy had like a, uh, he was supposed to be a Nosferatu. So he had like, you know, little pointy, pointy ears. ears. Yeah. Just stuff like that. Um, but they didn't like go all out, but she just every, you know, every Sunday night, that was my, uh, <laughs> was thing to look forward to at the end of my Burger King chip. <laughs> it is because yeah because costuming it i mean it was sort of a cosplay thing before cosplay blew up right like vampire mm-hmm. the masquerade was that that element of it long before i mean it was it was sort of like that and you had ren fairs and that was really <laughs> the only costuming outside yeah, of halloween the, the, the you know halloween costume yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah especially in the midwest i mean i, I as I understand it, you know, the California kids were dressing up long before we were because it was okay in California. You know, like Wendy Penny was dressing up as Red Red Sonia before we were ever dressing up at conventions. But, um, but yeah, like I, I remember it so distinctly because it was the only. You know, we played D anD D in high school. Yeah, um, and we never fucking dressed up. Nobody, you know, you the most you did was you had a lead miniature, <laughs> and, and that was it. Like that was, you know, um, yeah. And you didn't get out of your chair even unless you were like going for a Mountain Dew and Cheetos. Like you didn't, but the, the I had a leather bad. bag for my dice. That was as close to a costume as I had. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, we had a crown Royale bags because yeah. we looked like spell pouches. Uh, but, but it, like that, that was foreign to me, but I didn't have the books. So when they, you know, when we were talking about doing the comic, I knew everything about it because I love the source books, but I, I didn't, uh, and I, I think I've read some of the novels too. I, I read the Shadowrun novel, all the you know the Drist books, any role playing yeah. game good novel. I was into a Dragonlance and uh, Vampire and and Shadowrun stuff. But yeah, I never played the game. I've never played. Uh, Teeny Howard is working on the book with me. Um, 
Did we announce this? Yeah, I think that's okay. Oh. Talk about it. We're yeah, live streaming. It's out there now. <laughs> yeah, it's cage. It's, we did announce it. Um, it's okay. There's only husband. four people watching. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she and her husband were uh, were super big into it, so they knew a bunch of shit, and uh, they explained things that I didn't know. You know, I'd probably get into it if I ever, uh, you know, had the opportunity, but it's never, although I'm always, I, I always think about like, um, at one point in my life, I was at a, a large business party and they had one of those murder mystery, um, companies came for the party yeah. and they were doing yeah. murder, and they like picked me to be one of the characters and all they gave me was like, the name of the character, I was supposed to be like a mayor of the town, and I suspected one person was the murderer. That's all they gave me to work with. And I'm the worst actor, I think, ever. Like, I was so terrible, I could not come up with, like, anything to do other than sort of blurt out who I thought was the killer. That's like, oh, the, that was the end of my character development. So I just, I don't think I could do it anyway, even if I tried. I don't think I could get into the... Uh, <laughs> I bet you could. <laughs> I'd be Next really time bad. I see you guys, I have all the games. I have all the books for the new game, so we could do it. Well, maybe once this is over, we should we should start <laughs> up a little Vampire the Masquerade. What, speaking of vampires, what about Dark Red? What's going on with that? Are, are you finished with that? Did, did you? No, um, we have one issue left. We are okay. obviously things are happening, but we're the there's there was a it was going to be a ten issue series, and then we'll do another one. Um, but it did really well, so it's. I'm definitely excited to do more stuff with it, um, and uh, I'll be doing two vampire books a month there for a while. So, yeah, I was say, Phil, sharpen those teeth up. Yeah, well, I got this shit going. So there you go. <laughs> well, I suppose I should get going, fellas. It's been two hours. I should probably go hang out with my family. All yes, right. uh, thank you for having me on. And, Absolutely, uh, good to catch up with you, bud. Okay, yeah. it's good. To, good to know that you're doing well and. And it's, uh, wife's treating you all right, and you're seeing your way through this pandemic bullshit. So, yeah, good to see you guys. Oh, we'll before you go, uh, we yeah. I, I believe we are having Tom King on the show next week. So, do you want to say anything to Tom or ask him any questions or anything? Well, no, just well, be really be really gentle with him because he's very fragile. <laughs> so, and he's what I hear him. about it's what I hear about ex CIA. Yeah, and he write, loves very, writing very fragile. sappy romances, so you just you can make him cry. Very wedding easy. books. He likes wedding books, and yeah, mm-hmm. he's just super, super fancy. So, yeah. yeah, well, I know, I know, you're not going to be going out and shaking hands and kissing babies and all that, but uh, um, send my regards to the rest of the the Chicago folks down there. Whenever you you chit chat with them, so I hope they're Do they're that. all doing well. And congratulations right. again. On the, Thank you. on the baby, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk to you, but uh, congrats yeah. on uh, all that I, wedding. She was still awake. I got stuck in front of the camera, which I did uh, for all my other Zoom meetings today. So uh, <laughs> next time. All right. Next, all right. But hey, great to talk with you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tim. Right. Bye, Tim. Bye. All right. Now it's just me and you, buddy. Just you and me. Just, just us. Start uh, doing shots. That was. <laughs> yeah. No. What? uh that was fun talking with tim it's always good i always love talking with tim he's he's uh one of those guys that you know like you can just uh he's he's one of he's one of those comics ideas guys he's probably got a, a million ideas for a million comics out there and 
Um, that's why he is pretty prolific. That's why he's always working on stuff. I think that, um, you know, he had a reputation for a long time that, you know, editors could go to him and put him on a book and they know that they were going to get, you know, pretty, a pretty good story for, um, you know, for a run. And, and I think, you know, he talked about it. He got into that, that kind of cycle of being a, a six issue arc writer, for a lot of different series, but, yeah. uh, you know, obviously known for a lot of his, his own creator own stuff and, um, you know, collaborative stuff. Uh, so yeah, always good to, always good to talk with him. And a Chicago guy. One of the, one of the original around comics guys. Yeah. I mean, I still, He's family. Yeah, for sure. He's family. That was good stuff. Good. good yeah. To him, I get to go up to his hometown and curl next year, hopefully. Curling. Wausau, Wausau, Wisconsin. We can't get an episode in without you mentioning curling, can we? It's nope. just impossible. Nope. It's a thing. Jesus. It's it's a thing. It's a- well, you'll talk about your Muay Thai or whatever it is. My what? <laughs> Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah. So good stuff. So uh you already uh you already previewed a little bit. We're gonna have Tom King on the show next week. I believe so, so next Tuesday. Uh, mm-hmm. Same bat time, same bat channel. I yep, will be. Uh, it seems like we're getting into this like Tuesday night, eight o'clock. It seems uh, like Central it. Standard Time seems to be when things are are happening. So uh, yeah, if you want to uh, tune in uh, and watch the live stream, we take uh, take questions during the live stream. If uh, if you can't make that, and if you have any questions for us or for Tom King, you can email us at. Uh, info at aroundcomics.com. And there you go. And uh, we'll we'll definitely uh, pass those questions along or answer them if they are uh, targeted towards me or Sal. Uh, Tom, or once Tom. again. Uh, we'll answer for it's, Tom. It's fine. Still, on, still, still with the show. He's just uh, um, having trouble wrangling his children's, I think. <laughs> his chill, chillins. Uh, speaking of that, we do have a sort of, uh, not really. A sort, a of, a sort of email? Uh, yeah, well, we have two, we have two comments, uh, people left us on Instagram, uh, at around comics is our Instagram. It's right there. It's right up. Wait, right up there somewhere. You can see it Mm -hmm. on the screen somewhere. (laughs) Um, uh, the, I don't, I don't know how you say this. The Therastan fan there, the Rostan fan. I don't know. Anyway, he, uh, he said, uh, he just wanted to point out that Chris's first comic, which you showed us last week, your first mm-hmm. comic book, yep. was the uh, first American appearance of the Tom Baker Doctor Who. Sorry, yes. I, I remember podcast trivia from over a decade ago. So he just yep. wanted to point that out to us. I didn't know that. I, I knew it was yeah, Doctor Who. The, huh? I, I knew it was Doctor Who, but I didn't mm-hmm. know that it was the first uh, American yeah, Marvel, what is it, Marvel Premiere 56, it's a uh, Walt Simonson cover, but um, the interior is uh, all reprint, it's a reprint from the UK Doctor Who series, and um, I didn't, obviously didn't know it at the time, uh, but Dave Gibbons' uh, interiors in oh, there, so, there which I would, I would come to appreciate much more uh, uh, later on, but uh, yeah, that was the... The first first American appearance of the Doctor. I've never the, been a Doctor Who Doctor fan. Who. I've never, uh, but it's funny that I've had two uh, friends in my life um, that have 
been uh, both comic book fans, mm-hmm. uh, people that I've I've spent a time with talking comics. It, my one of my earliest friends in my life, a grade school friend, a guy by the name of Robert. He was a comic book fan and also a huge Doctor Who fan. And then you, you're a comic book fan, so it's kind of funny. I like two two of my close comic book friends are, yeah. are also Doctor Who fans, and I've never. It was I was a Doctor Who fan before I was a comic book fan, and it was that that comic I bought because I was a Doctor Who fan, and it was it's kind of a little hole in the wall comic shop in my hometown, and I went in there one day and saw that comic and bought it and then went back in probably you know a, a week or two later and discovered the x-men and then it was then it was about comics and it was game on that it was, was game, game on. on yep and that's uh that's how it started all right um the next one we have is from thunder duck 360 oh yeah he uh he said great episode fellas um his batman picks would be uh oh. year one Mm-hmm. Long Halloween and DKR. Uh, yep. And, and then he also said, all those. Uh, Wisconsin Old Fashions and Fish Fries are legit, son. He just wanted to make sure we knew. <laughs> yes, 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 they, they, yes, they, they are. are. Legit. That, that, that's been our, so we don't, we don't go out to eat a lot right now, obviously, sure. um, or, or order, or order out. We only, we only order carry out uh, curbside pickup once a week. And we are on Fridays doing a different fish fry every Friday. So that's uh, and we're alternating. So one week it's, it's my turn to pick. And this week it's, it's Marta's turn to pick. So we've had, I think we've had four fish, four different fish fries, uh, it, because we've been in isolation for a month now, so we go and and do the do the pickup. That was one of the weird things about moving to Wisconsin. I found Sal is What's that, that if 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 you have a restaurant in, in Wisconsin, you have a fish fry on Friday. Okay, regardless yeah. of what your restaurant is. Are there a lot of Catholics in Wisconsin? Seriously. I, I'm just I don't know. Oh, I have oh, no yeah. idea. Yeah, it's I'm assuming because that's yeah. where the fish fries I would think. Oh, is. yeah, that's yeah. Why it's, you have it, a Friday fish well, the fries. Thing, if if you're if you're not a Catholic, you're a Lutheran. Okay. So I that's, mean that's, that's I mean it's fries. it is they we went to an Admirals hockey game. That's the that's basically their triple A hockey uh uh team there. There it's the uh, Nashville Predators uh uh, feeder team and uh it was uh martin luther bobblehead night martin <laughs> really <laughs> yeah, wow. i shit you not <laughs> i will never live in wisconsin i'll tell you that much it uh, is uh yes the, yes they're more oh gosh i mean i mean you marquette is a big catholic school and uh it's i mean chicago a uh, huge huge catholic population there yeah well but that i mean you know pepper and eggs on fridays the pepper and egg sandwiches because you know well, yep. Lent, that's it's the same kind of thing that's what i that, that's just what popped in my head i'm like why do they have fish fries on fridays well yeah okay they got a lot of catholics and it's and it's hilarious it's every restaurant you go into a uh like a uh chinese restaurant they have fish fry on fridays gotta do it gotta yeah. have it <laughs> you got to it's great it's- now what about the fish boils that's a northern that's a northern wisconsin thing that's yeah. more like uh I've door county those. i've been to i've been to a couple of those i've been one in, in yep. i've been to a couple in door county actually yeah yep. 
Yep, that's more. That's more. That's it's a Door County thing. Yeah, uh, Northern. You know, you get up there in the 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 North Woods. The North Woods. It mm-hmm. is, it's up there. This is up there. Yeah, we like it. Life behind the cheddar curtain ain't ain't all that bad. If 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 they <laughs> wasn't for the Packers, it would be great. Uh, yeah. Well, you know. Well, hopefully <laughs> you've moved up there at the right time. I mean, they. What are the odds they draft another Hall of Fame quarterback after Rodgers? Uh, you know, maybe they'll they'll start actually sucking again, like they used One to when hope. I was a kid. You know, yeah. And then you get to live One through that. Hope. That would be fun. Like you know, if, yeah. you, if you got to live through that as a Bears fan. Um, <laughs> The Packers sucking. Yeah. yeah. We've got a digital, an actual digital NFL draft coming up. Uh, no, I didn't. I, digital. What do you mean? What the, the, like the NFL draft is going to be like all done remote now. Oh, well, that'll be exciting to watch. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the actual fucking draft is a snooze fest and I could care. How they, about. how they have turned that. That's, that is how fucking starved people get for football, which I can't understand anymore. Um, that they turn the draft in like a huge media and, and ratings event. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. People are yeah. dumb. I was ready for baseball, man. Baseball. Ready for baseball. Uh, whatever. I can do without Meh. all of it. I can. I'm fine. I don't need any of it. I, no. I've seen enough. I've I've experienced this enough. This is kind of your things. greatest dream come true. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. People. It really is. It, it, honestly, if 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 we were like this all the time, if I could work from home and mm-hmm. I didn't have to get stuck in traffic and I didn't have to deal with that many idiots, it's it's glorious driving now. There's like, you know, thirty percent of the people on the streets. It's it's oh yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I told you we uh, so we 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 actually do miss Chicago from time to time. And we'll throw WGN morning news on, and to watch the traffic reports right now is hilarious. That's oh, yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's like eight o'clock in the morning, and it's uh, clear on the Dan Ryan and the uh, Stevenson. You know, it's like what? <laughs> but yeah. Dan Ryan's never clear at eight o'clock in the morning. It's weird times. Mm-hmm. Weird. I don't know. I yeah. No. All kidding aside, though, I it's. It's bizarre, but uh, I yep. do miss I do miss uh, going out. I do miss seeing my friends. I see, I miss. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna miss like concerts and and not that I would go to many, but you know the opportunity. I got rage against the machine and run the jewel tickets. That's 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 not gonna happen. I was looking at those rage against the machine, but I said fuck that. I ain't paying those goddamn prices. Fuck yeah, I know. Prices. I was see you saw them last time they came through, which was. I did. 12 years ago or whatever it was. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Something like that. Yeah. And I didn't, I did not go. So this is, I figured my last shot and, and uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, hey, did we pick, did we pick a, um, uh, a new graphic novel to read after little, little bird? We did pick one. We picked coffin bound volume one. Oh, that's, I need to, I've got it all in single issues. So well, you could read it that way. You don't have to. That's how I'm going to read it. Yeah, I just had forgotten. I had misplaced in my brain. So I'm going to write that down. I'm going to go back and reread all those. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that is, uh, I, I started reading it. It is a interesting book. Um, I have a sticky note on my monitor. Uh, it says Coffin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little... I, 
I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a different kind of book, but uh, yeah, it looks yeah. great. Yeah, we'll see. Yep, but that's yeah, it's definitely. A, I don't know when we're going to talk about that necessarily, but uh, um, let's say yeah, maybe two weeks. So we'll talk with uh, with Tom King next Tuesday, and then we'll come back and have a little coffin coffin bound talk. I got some more guests. I got some more guests lined up. Oh, we're lining them up. I got. I got a few more. Yeah. You told me to. You told me to get, I know, get people. I know. So I, it's, I, it's so funny because, you know, back like, you know, around comics 1.0, I remember there was a point where you're just like, Chris, stop winding up guests. I just want to talk with you and Tom. <laughs> well, I still feel that way, but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to have. Yeah. I mean, I haven't talked to anyone in so long. Uh, yeah, in, in the comics industry, really. So it's kind of. Fun I still want to. I, I still have to send a message to uh, to Rucka see if he wants to jump on and uh, talk uh, PI shows. Been watching a lot of Magnum PI. He's too busy making Hollywood stuff. Come on, man. Good for him. Good yeah. for him. He's famous. Yeah, I hope so. Where did Make I see? Money. I saw his Make name. That so money. Make I'm that sorry. money. He's all about the bucket ducats ducats. He's all. He's all about the Benjamins. Yeah, something. I don't know. Yeah. All right, bud. Well, it was always uh always uh fun to talk with Tim. So uh, yeah. glad we were able to do that. Uh so uh Tuesday is that is next Tuesday, is that our next one? We're gonna hop um, in, in between I mean, now can, and then. We can do something before then if you would like. We can maybe I was yeah, thinking like Tuesday, do like Tuesday, Thursdays. Uh yeah. Yeah, maybe Thursday we can hop on for a little shorty. Okay. I've been re- actually reading some comics, so Nice. Yeah. Got some, and and there's lots of like comic book news to talk about if we want to yeah. discuss some stuff. I just got the uh, the uh, history of the Marvel Universe from uh, the, the Mark Wade, the big treasury edition one. Oh, it's pretty I, dope. Yeah, those are cool, but you don't really read it. Well, like, I mean, I guess I did when I was younger. I have studied it with yeah. a microscope. <laughs> uh, I'm reading the X-Men again. I'm reading the X-Books. Hey, I mean, yeah, like all of them, I'm kind of paying attention to again. Not a, they're not all great, but the main X Men book I really enjoy. Yeah, I still got to get through uh, the whole House of House of X stuff. I'm trying to catch up on um, Batman stuff. So we when we talk to Tom King, did you guys talk to Tom King? Did we ever have we ever actually talked to Tom King before? I'm trying to remember if we ever actually had him on the show. I don't know if he was ever like a a flagship guest on the show. He may have sat in. Um, I would imagine like at a at a convention or something. So I mean, Tom was always around for a long time. I guess uh, we'll have to ask him. Yep. Well, he was a listener of the show before he was a comic book writer. Like he was, you know, we got to know him when he wrote. Uh, well, I remember him dropping his uh, his novel yeah. off to us at uh, it would have been Wizard at the time. Yeah, um, that was when so, we first met him. And uh, yeah, yeah. So Tom was Tom was working at a once crowded a sky, time. right? Wasn't that huh? a once crowded sky? Isn't that the name? Yeah, of is that the? I, I believe that was the name of it. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, he's been he's been out there pushing his wares for a long time. He was not a a uh, uh, overnight success. So. No. Or I guess he's one of those like a lot of comic book creators. He was a he was an overnight success, uh, ten years in the making. Right. I think that's a lot of people. Yep. So that's yep. next week. We'll talk to him next Tuesday. That'll be cool. cool. Yes. And any uh, any questions you have for Tom King? And uh, in the meantime, oh, in between time, <laughs> we'll be everywhere in 
Head around. Around comics. Around comics. We're around. <laughs> Again. Around. <laughs> Thanks.